You a duck? Where do you put your duck? Bottom. Oh, bottom. Dan, I don't know if I could be your friend anymore. <laughs> I'm a doc on the right, man. Doc on the left is acceptable, but doc on the bottom, you're losing. I need to me what I crave the most is vertical real estate. It is tricky on the 12 inch MacBook, although I had the dock pretty small. But I don't know. I never, I could never get used to the symmetry of having it on one of the sides and not having windows take up yeah. the full width. Yeah, like the yeah. right, the right That's side right. of my screen has been the aim buddy list for 20 years or more hmm. than that. Hmm. Uh, yeah, my dock icons are so small, and I, I don't even keep many apps in the dock, uh, you know, like permanently. But just the running apps is enough to make them tiny little targets. And it's not like that I lack the motor skills to do it. It's just that part of what I love about the Mac, I mean, we could probably do a whole show about why I love the Mac, but it's like, I feel like I can just fly through the Mac, you know, like I'm always clicking and moving my mouse extremely fast. And Same. Whenever I get a new job, I demand the fastest Mac possible because it's, my brain is basically at the same speed of the computer. Yep. But Whatever it is about dock clicking, it's just not, it's never going to work. Yeah. Always the wrong icon. I'm just noticing now that Apple has added very, it's very kind of them to do so. Auto added a, the iWork apps to my dock again for the 10th time. Oh, nice of them. <laughs> very kind. <laughs> it's been a while since I've noticed that, but yeah, they're, it's probably right there. I, d I do use numbers. That's the only one. I though. use numbers a lot. I did, I use it by far and away more than the others. Even though I think Keynote is probably the best of the apps, I, I, I use numbers quite a bit. I keep like my sponsorship schedule in a numbers spreadsheet. So that's the one that gets updated all the time. But I don't need it open all the time. I just uh, noticed I have I, iBooks in there. Yep, they did that to probably, me too. Very nice of them. Probably a mistake. <laughs> kind of them to put in an app that I never use on the Macintosh. Oh. How's your housework? Is it? Uh, are we going to be interrupted by hammers? Uh, no, I don't think so. They did not show up today. Oh, good. So, I've I've been very lucky in the the game of roulette that is try to schedule a recording of the talk show on a day when the <laughs> when the guys banging away at my house are not here. So, I forgot go. to check. Are we holiday partying or no? I'm not, but you, you're certainly welcome. To. Oh man. No, I'm just kidding. I ha I do have a, uh, a fizzy water though. No, oh, I have so a I'm fizzy water, and I have a uh, I have a I don't know some kind of fruit juice blend smoothie that I paid a lot of money for. Should we, should we pour one out for the deck? Yeah, well, I know. I poured one out for the deck with Jim yesterday. I saw you had a nice post. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when could... I started Splat F, uh, well, you you know your your history with the deck goes back quite far when i started splat f in 2011 my my only dream was to be deck worthy hmm. and uh i never got enough well i had a i, I got a different deal from another company hmm. rather quickly so i never never got to work with the deck but uh was always something i aspired to uh to work with yeah i i uh well i mean i relate a lot of the history on my post i mean it's a fine first topic for those who don't, you know, who are listening, who didn't pay attention, the DAC network, little ad network that, I mean, if you're listening to this and you don't know the little ads that have been on Daring Fireballs for 11 years, then I don't know how, you know, I can't help you. But 
then you're a part of the problem. <laughs> right. Although I suppose there are people who might be uh, just read the whole thing by RSS. So it's possible. Anyway, um, the deck was a ad net. Well, it still is as as we speak. It's it's alive until tomorrow, um, end of March. An ad network for independent websites uh, with a couple of very simple rules. Only takes ads from sponsors that we think are interesting. In the old days, we used to actually have a rule that it was somebody, uh, some member of the deck network had to actually be a purchaser or user of the product. And that sort of went, uh, that wasn't really sustainable, but we had to at least uh, think, Hey, this is something that the people who read the sites in the deck might actually like. Um, one ad per page so you're not allowed to join other networks and have 20 different ads on a page. The whole point was to make it exclusive and that charge money for the exclusivity of, hey, if you want to get a little graphical ad on a site like kotki.org or Daring Fireball, there's only going to be one ad per page, and it's going to be through the deck, and that's it. Um, very small, uh, relatively small bit of real estate on screen. No animation, no tracking, no JavaScript payloads, nothing like that. Uh, and it was pretty good run, eleven years, but it's it's kaput. Do you think, you know, obviously you're not Jim, but was there ever a point where you debated, okay, the screen sizes are getting bigger, or the the formats of of the web are changing? Should we make the ad bigger, or you know, Kotki actually like that. did that. If you look, Kotki. Uh, I don't even know how he's doing it. I think maybe because we did switch to Retina images uh, a couple of years ago for the obvious reason that <laughs> the ones that weren't Retina didn't look good on non-Retina screens. Uh, uh, I, there was some talk of it, but I think that it, it it like the last year or so, as Jim wrote in his post, his sort of goodbye post to it, uh, um, the bigger problem was just that the interest from advertisers was dwindling. And so worrying about what the physical format, I mean, I suppose you could say, well, maybe if you fix the format, there'd be more interest, but it, it, it was seemed pretty clear that that wasn't, that wasn't the issue. The issue was that the money wasn't going to uh, traditional web ads period. It was going to social, you know, Facebook and, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, at, online advertising is still going to Google too. That was the bigger problem. I would, I would also not be surprised if the because I, I remember the the kind of the the gist was that the target audience was uh, kind of a creative design crowd. I would not be surprised if the advertisers who are who were using the deck to reach that crowd are now advertising on things like this podcast instead of buying banner ads online, or at least putting some of their money into that. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you look, that's actually what Kotki's doing. Kotki is. Somehow in, in his template, he's taking the ad and taking the retina size ad and running it two x. So it's a little bit like blurry because it's double sized, but it's uh, at least if you're looking at it on a retina screen, it's you know. But he's but he made it physically uh, twice the twice the size. That Kotki is very clever. He is. He does this thing that I'm not familiar with, which is change the design of his website every couple of years. <laughs> No, I, I am, I'm sad. I don't know. I, I probably came across in my post. It's a sad thing. It is not a surprise though. And I, it's like, and you don't, I don't know. I'm often uncomfortable talking about the behind the scenes stuff. Well, I'm always uncomfortable talking about the business aspects of this stuff. Um, because I don't think not so much out of, uh, 
sort of not wanting to talk about money period, but just more that it's navel gazing to some ways. And, you know, and then people write to me and they're like, no, no, we, you know, I'm fascinated to hear about it, but it's like, I just worry that me talking about the behind the scenes stuff is of great interest to me, but maybe not so much of interest to people on the outside, but um, maybe not. But anyway, it's behind, always behind the scenes. Jim it's definitely is, interesting to. I'll just say this: Jim kept us, the members of the deck, up to date. Like we've known for the last year that the last year has not been good, and you know, so it's you know, there were a couple of people who who were I were worried that maybe this thing came as a surprise to me or or everybody else in the deck, and it wasn't a surprise at all. We knew that it might be coming to an end uh, from six, seven months ago. And then Jim let us know, like, and I think it was early February even, that, hey, March, end of March is it. Hmm. What, what I was going to say is it's there's definitely an, interest, an industry of people who are super curious about how small or independent publishers operate. But as as especially as a former independent publisher, you never want that to be – the most attention you get is when you're talking about yourself. Right. Uh, you always want your you always want your work to get the most attention, and even though it, it's sometimes fun and interesting to talk about the operational elements of of what you do and what um, and what the industry does, it definitely feels weird when that's where you're getting the most attention. So, I understand. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, podcast is is one of the er- podcasting is one of the areas where online money is going. That's not social or Google, uh, and it's growing. I mean, the demand for spots on this show is higher than ever. Um, I forget how far ahead we're sold out, but probably too far even. Um, and that's great. <laughs> you know, I, I, I I mean too far in the sense of let's play too. Right. If you, I, in my theory on selling sponsorships, if you sell too far ahead, you've your rates too low. You should raise the rate. You know, the 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 calculus of how high the the price per spot is and versus how far ahead you're sold is you know a tricky business. But if you're you know you don't want to sell, you certainly don't want to sell out two years ahead and have you know a hundred weeks of shows sold out at the current rate. That means you you know. You should have raised the rate for the ones in the future higher. Totally, so, you know, yeah, it's it's not doom and gloom for Daring Fireball, the Daring Fireball company. Uh, it's just, I think, a sad day for web advertising. Period. Simply because I think the deck did it right, and what's left is not so good. Yeah. So, what are you going to do? Just going to leave an empty spot there? I guess come April first. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've I've been thinking about it a lot. I mean, I, as I want to do, uh, I'm uh, <laughs> indecisive as to, as to uh, what to do with that. Uh, you know what I did? Well, I, I do not recommend the first part of this. The first thing I did was learn how to use DoubleClick for Publishers, which is Google's ad server. Uh, try to avoid doing that if you can. But back in the day when I was running SplatF and I had an ad network that did not have a 100% fill rate, I made a bunch of house ads that were super minimalist, clean ads, and they were actually for Amazon affiliate links to products I liked. So I linked to uh, my favorite pen, this Pilot ballpoint pen, and I linked to, I don't know, some other random mm. stuff, probably the new new MacBook Pro. Um, and, <laughs> you know, people bought some pens, and I think I sold some books, but it was uh, it probably would have been nicer just to leave that space empty i've 
thought about that. I mean, that is putting, you know, think picking out things from Amazon and putting, uh, you know, using the spot to promote something like that is uh, a possibility. There was a time when I made, it, uh, again, my strategy from the beginning was, you know, maybe the stool analogy is is a little broken because stools usually only have three or, three or four legs and the legs have to all be the same size or the stool isn't, <laughs> isn't balanced. Um, but I'll stick with that analogy. My theory from the beginning was to have, you know, don't depend on one source of revenue to run the site because if something goes wrong with it, you're screwed. You're, it's, it's healthier to, I, I think this is just common business sense. You know, it's healthier to have multiple revenue streams. Um, and at one point, like 10 years ago, in the early days of me going full-time on Daring Firebolt, Amazon affiliate revenue was, it was never like a the highest, but it was, it was noticeable, you know, it was, wow, this, you know, this is, this is worth doing in terms of how much money it makes per month. And it would, de and there were bursts around, uh, December because it would, I'd, I'd be purposefully linked to a couple of, you know, Christmassy type things. And what happens with the, I, I don't even know if it works this way anymore, but at least it used to is if you link to something at Amazon with your affiliate code, you get more if they buy that exact product that you link to. But whatever else they buy at Amazon, until they next click some other affiliate's affiliate code, you get the affiliate revenue from that too. And so at Christmas, if somebody was like, oh, I'll help Daring Fireball out, I'll, I'll click his, this link, you know, where I would say, hey, but, you know, in parentheses, you know, the, I get a kickback from Amazon if you click this link, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, if people then did Christmas shopping and bought other stuff, it was occasionally, you know, a pretty good amount of money. And because it's percentage based, if people did stuff like buy a MacBook, it was a lot of money. I think it's a little different now, but yeah, same idea. If mm. you link to one thing, they get you get the whole shopping cart. So I think I that met was great. I actually remember linking to my wedding registry with uh, with my affiliate link. So not only did I get an extra commission on the gifts people were buying me but i could see ahead of time what was what was coming <laughs> that's pretty good uh i i think i mentioned this on this show i forget a couple of weeks ago with somebody i don't remember exactly but the funny part though is if i wanted to do that i've got to get in touch with amazon and reinstate my uh affiliate account they unceremoniously shut shut my affiliate count down in October. Yikes. Uh, oh, right. I remember that. It's did, did you ever figure that out? No, because I don't... I, I've been wavering on whether I want to uh, write about it. Because it's... To me, it's sort of an interesting story. But on the other hand, writing about it also feels like I'm uh, pulling the special, you know... Uh, uh, you know, it's obviously going to get a lot of publicity if I write, uh, you know, look what Amazon did to me. They, you know, unceremoniously dumped me. Um, but I still think it's kind of an interesting story. I've never heard of this before. So for anybody who didn't listen to the previous episode here, I just looked up the email. On October 11th, I got an email from Amazon Associates that said, your associates account has come up for review in connection with our ongoing monitoring of the Amazon affiliates program. During our review, we have determined that you are not in compliance with the operating agreement that governs your participation in the associates program and your associates 
program account has been closed. You will not receive further payment of advertising fees. You are not in compliance because you are encouraging customers to bookmark your Amazon links as opposed to clicking through your website to reach Amazon. This is not the intent of the associates program. Section 7 of the operating agreement states that a qualifying purchase occurs when a customer clicks through a special link on your site to the Amazon site. Purchases resulting from clicks through bookmark links do not fit this criteria. You can find the terms, and there's a link to their terms. Uh, we ask that you immediately remove all Amazon content from your sites. Any other accounts you have or may open in the future may be closed, and you will not receive any advertising fees. We reserve all other rights and claims we have. We appreciate your understanding in this matter. Warmest regards, <laughs> Amazon.com. That's my favorite. Warmest regards. There, there's your headline right there. <laughs> so the thing that's interesting about this is they never point to anywhere on my site where I, where I've uh, you know uh, done this you know encouraged people to bookmark it. So it doesn't say hey on this page you know you encourage people to bookmark it. There's no opportunity to uh, edit the page to disencourage you know to remove that. And there's absolutely no recourse here. There's no, if you, you know, and, and the, that day my Amazon's account was, my Amazon account was shut down. There's no, you know, here's where you go if you want to appeal, if you want to argue about this, uh, just gone. And I, you know, one of the things that I think is funny about this is that people think that the app store from Apple is capricious in their, you know, the way they deal with people, but I've never heard of anything like this. Weird, right? Yeah, that's nuts. I'm actually surprised you haven't uh, through the just through the popularity of your of your podcast gotten that resolved by now. Yeah, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, maybe, I uh, I think I know what site it was. I think I know what web page it was. Um, it's it's a post I wrote in December of 2004. I swear to God, I'm almost sure this is it because I literally do ask tell people that they can bookmark uh, my affiliate code. I wrote, if you're going to purchase holiday gifts at Amazon and you'd like to support during Fireball, please consider using these links to get to Amazon's website. After clicking, you'll proceed to Amazon's homepage, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I, it's, so it was like a 12-year-old a post that suddenly, I don't know, I guess they probably had like a spider or something that, that found it. Or an intern. Yeah, I don't know. Am amazing. Yeah. But I don't know. But a reason I, the other reason I didn't take any action immediately is I've, uh, in recent years, stopped really using the affiliates code because I've been a little bit uncomfortable because Amazon has, since 2004, whenever I joined the affiliate program, has become a lot less of just an online store and a lot more of one of the leading players in the industry I write about. Um and so I, 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 I don't know. I, I, there's all sorts of sites. I mean, the New York Times does, you know, bought the wire cutter, which is run, you know, runs on like affiliate links. I, I like, I don't think it's uh, unseemly, but I, it also just seems to me like it's cleaner if I just don't even use the, the affiliate link. So I haven't been using it in recent years and the money I get from it has been, you know, at one point it was like hundreds of dollars a month and maybe like a couple of thousand around the holidays. And in recent years, it's just been like, I don't know, $15 a month or something like that. 
Yeah, it's it's one thing to say uh, here are all the new Kindles and uh, an affiliate link, and then three minutes later criticize the company for a practice of you know one of its uh, HR practices or something like that. It's yeah, a little... or you know, you know, like if if I, I I don't know if I or if I say something really good about a book or a Kindle or something like that, and include the code, it's. It, it's easier to say that, look, I'm telling you this is good because it's good if there is no affiliate code. You know, and it, I'm not saying, you know, what I mean, like, I'm not saying that people who include it are doing something unethical, you know, and I think that in the long run, you know, like the wire cutter gets by in the long run because it's their long term reputation that matters. If the wire cutter tells you to buy, you know, a, a certain blender and it's, you get it through an Amazon link and they get, three dollars from their purchase and then you get the blender and it's a piece of junk uh you know your the wire cutter suffers from that because they're you know you're not going to trust them in the future <laughs> the post i i'll put the i have it in the show in the show notes already so it'll be there it's this amazon debauch debauchery i don't even know how to pronounce that word but i used it uh post from 2004 and among the links in the post is the 20 gigabyte iPod U2 special edition. Wow. <laughs> nice. One of the things about writing about the deck yesterday and thinking about it and going back and looking at my old posts about, you know, the early years and, and the early years of sponsorships and advertising on Daring Fireball is it really, A, it was a rabbit hole and I lost a lot of time rereading 10 year old posts on my own site. But B, a lot of them just gave me that feeling of, holy shit, it's been a long time. Like the U2 hard drive iPod feels like another era. I mean, that really, that's that was a long time ago. What do you think of that new red iPhone? Well, let's hold that thought, and we'll talk about right, that after that. I uh, talk about one of our friends. This show is brought to you by Jamf Now. Jamf Software, J-A-M-F. They've got a product called Jamf Now. And it helps you manage your Apple devices from anywhere. When you first start your business, it's pretty easy to keep track of your own computer and phone. That's where I am. I'm, I'm just one person, so it's pretty easy. I've got two Macs and an iPhone. But as your business grows and you start to buy more tech for your employees, it gets harder to keep track of everyone's Macs, iPhones, and iPads. Figuring out how to secure the iPad that your sales rep lost can be tough, especially when you're all in different locations. And a lot of small businesses now, everybody works remotely. Jamf now makes that and a lot more easy. You can configure settings, protect sensitive information, even lock or wipe a device from anywhere. Jamf now secures your stuff so you can focus on your business. No IT expertise needed. You don't need to have an IT department to manage your devices for a small company. Jamf now makes it so anybody can do it. Talk show listeners can start securing their business today by setting up the first three devices for free. Add more for just two bucks a month per device. Two bucks a month per device. What a great price for an absolutely fantastic uh, bit of management software. Create your free account at jamf.com slash the talk show. That's jamf.com slash the talk show. Yeah, let's talk about the new Apple stuff. So, what, do you have do you have any of it? I have a red iPhone. I did get a little briefing up in New York uh, 
from from some fine folks at Apple. Uh, oh, the seventeen inch iPad. No, no, no. It was nothing, nothing secret like that. And they did not uh, give me a review unit, which I, I was hoping they would not of the nine point seven inch iPad because it's, it's you know I mean I don't I, I've I've got too many review units as you know I mean there's nothing I don't know about it. I don't yeah, need right. to use it to get it. They had them there for me to examine and look at, and they're fine products. But I, they did give me a review unit of the red iPhone. It's quite nice. How's the texture on that? It feels to me exactly like the black one. And I don't have – actually, I just packed it up to send backs, but the black one. Um, uh, I don't have the silver or gold, but it feels about the same. I think blindfolded, I would not be able to tell the difference between the red one and, and the other non-jet black uh, iPhones. Hmm. I personally feel that it would look better with a black face than the white face. Uh, and I wrote that on Daring Fireball, and I got a ton of responses. And everybody feels very strongly about the matter. But, but a lot of people feel very strongly that I'm exactly right. And what is wrong with Apple? Are they blind? Why did, wouldn't they make this phone with a black face? And the other half are very strong saying, oh, my God, no, this is beautiful exactly as is. Don't encourage them to, to change a thing. I've never had a, a white iPhone, and I don't think I'd ever want one. It just it seems like an unnecessary distraction when you're trying to just see the screen. Yeah, for me, that's exactly how I feel. Well, a my general rule is: when in doubt, buying anything. If there's a black option, get it in black. That's just it, I just live by that motto. Uh, I have a black car. Uh, just. Uh, <laughs> You know, I just of course you do. Generally, buy stuff okay. in black. Uh, but I, for that reason, I, I, every time I, I've had review unit iPhones that are white, you know, white faced, like with a gold background or something like that, and I don't hate it, but I do feel that it distracts because when the screen's off, you can see exactly where the screen is. Like you have got this white thing and then a black thing within it, whereas when the black phone is off, it's just a black thing. It's great if you're trying to watch a, a video on a dark airplane. Why would you want a weird white frame around the yeah. screen? I, I it, but obviously they're very popular. So I mean, yep. it's you know, there's no accounting for taste. But like, I, I would point that out as a good like. There's a reason why it doesn't seem to me like anybody makes white framed televisions. It's it uh, to me, it's unnecessarily distracting, but. It is what it is. But anyway, I think that this red in particular would look good with a black front. I've also thought, though, I've been saying this for years. I mean, and again, it might just be that I just like black over white anyway. But I think that the gold uh, tones would look good with a black front, sort of a Pittsburgh Steelers look. I would definitely buy the silver stuff if it had a black front, too. The whatever it's called these days. right. But I bought the the aluminum, the main silver colored MacBook, the last two years, and it's great hmm. with the black screen frame. But if it had a white screen frame, no thanks. Hmm. Did you see the thing? I I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't bother to do my homework, but there's a thing where it's obviously it's it's product red, and so the proceeds go to help um, fight AIDS in Africa. Um, Except that in China, it's not a product red product. Um, but so I, I 
I heard somewhere somebody said that even though it's not marketed as product red, it Apple still is going to send the same portion of the proceeds from the red one sold in China to product red. So I don't know what the deal is there. I think it might just be, I don't know if that's true or not true. And if it is true, I, I don't know why they don't stamp product red on it, but I don't know. There's a lot of people who think that the main, the main target for this phone is China just because red is such a popular color in China. It's the most popular color by far. I can't recall a, a time when Apple made something that specific red and it wasn't a product red co-branded thing either. Can no, you? no. I guess the maybe the U2 iPod. No, because that was before I think product red existed. Everything oh, red maybe, has always yeah. been product red. I think even uh, – uh, yeah, The I old just, iPods. Yeah, I think they just – do it because you know I, I don't know what percentage of the money goes to product red but whatever it is it's within their whatever they want to give you know they want to give that amount to product red anyway you know like even little rinky dink things like the red iphone cases are product red or like the if you buy the 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 sports strap for your apple watch that's red it's product red so it must just be some i don't know if it's a legal thing in china or if it's a marketing thing in china where they feel like Marketing wise, that that wouldn't go over well for some reason. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Uh, could be could be both. What else did they? My guess is it's probably a legal thing, but yeah, maybe that's what I think too. I, I don't know why China would be different than every other non-U.S. entity. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, they also they minor minor tweak to the iPhone SE where they changed it from a sixteen or sixty-four gigabyte uh, storage tier option to thirty-two and one twenty-eight. Which unironic, finally, yeah, no more sixteen gigabyte iPhones, no more sixteen gigabyte iPads either. I think the last there is still you can still buy a sixteen gigabyte iPod Touch, but uh, does anybody buy iPod Touches anymore? I guess some people do for kids, but uh. not even Syracuse. So I don't right. know. Yeah, uh, but that's a nice that's a nice thing. But it also strongly suggests that. Uh, they're not. They're not going to update the iPhone SE other than the storage. Uh, you know, I, I I think it's the last of the phones of that size. I, I tweeted this yesterday, which or maybe the day before. I said I miss Mark Gurman, but uh, for real, like why? I want to know why there's no new iPad Pros because that seemed like the the main function of the spring rev cycle now, and, and we don't have it. And just as I was about to impulse purchase a mid-sized iPad Pro with a pencil. Uh, I was hoping for an update, and now it seems like it's not happening. There were a lot a lot of the supply chain rumors for months, I mean, dating back to like August, were saying that there's going to be... I guess some of them didn't say an iPad Pro, a 9.7-inch iPad Pro. Some of the rumors did say that there was a low-cost 9.7-inch iPad coming in March, but they all said that there was an updated... 12.9 inch iPad Pro coming for March. And it just, I thought it just made common sense, like not talking to little birdies or anything, but just, you know, Apple is a company of patterns and it's, you know, they've had March new products for a while. They had March new products this year too. And it just seemed like a year old iPad Pro and a year and a half old big iPad Pro seemed due for updates. Especially with that Pro name. Right. It seems. And some people are saying that it's still coming. There's somebody who said it's coming in at an event in April. I don't think that that's going to happen at all. I don't. I, I don't know. 
but I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think it's coming. So maybe a WWDC, but well, the other spring thing recently has been that the MacBook, the 12 inch MacBook, which yeah, doesn't seem to have an update this spring either. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, who knows? It seems like there's a couple of products that could be updated, and they aren't in the, you know, oh my God, let's how old is the Mac Pro type era? Just you know, products that we know Apple still you know cares very much about uh, seem due for an update. But do you wait or not? Like, if you're uh, in the market for an iPad Pro right now, what do you do? I'm waiting. I'm I'm I refuse to buy uh, something. Oh, I don't know. Last night I almost bought one, but I think I have to wait. I think so too, unless you. It's have, not going to be a whole another year, you know. Right. It's not like I really need it, right? It's, this right. is like a uh, impulse purchase, if anything. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm going to hold off because whether they change the design of it or not, um, you know, all those rumors of the ten whatever inch thing. Yeah. It seems like it's probably not going to be a an entire extra year, so I might as well hold off for whatever sort of speed bumps they put into it. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 it's hard to say. I don't know. It seems like all of the rumors are coming from the supply chain. And I do feel like if, uh, who knows where German sources have been, but it seems like in years past, German had sources from uh, somehow, not just from the supply chain, you know, and it, the supply chain ones get all the product marketing wrong. Cause they don't know there's, you know, all they know is somebody, you know, somebody at a, a, a sharp display factory in, you know, in, in China talks to, you know, Ming Chi Kuo and tells him, Hey, Apple is buying a ton of these 10.5 inch LCD panels, you know, go from there. Um, but they don't know anything about like what product it's for or, or anything like that. And it's obvious in hindsight that they don't know when the hell the products are coming out either. You know my favorite one of all time, which is that the the naming the uh, the iPhone math. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember. Which I, I guess in hindsight was the was the iPhone six plus. Yeah, so, but they got the plus the plus name right. But the the iPhone math. Oh, I never. I, thought I think about, about that. Every once in a while, I think about that, and I just slap my ass off walking down the street. <laughs> iPhone math. I never thought about it. it <laughs> That that's what it, they saw the plus symbol, and who knows? Maybe it was like a language thing too, where in Chinese or whatever language in Asia, you know, if it was Korean or whatever, but there's some kind of translation from an Asian language to English where plus a number and a plus sign got turned into math. <laughs> it's just the best. Uh, I don't know what to do. I, people often ask me. I I feel like almost every product except the iPhone is getting harder and harder to predict when the hell Apple's going to come out with updates. Do you use an iPad Pro for anything? Right now, no. I've uh, I never bought one, and I've packed up the ones. You know, I've turned the review units that I've had. Um, yeah, I regretted it. And then I thought, I and mean, my thinking was. I don't really use an iPad a lot. So that's an Apple device that I only buy one every couple of years. Like my the iPad I'm using right now is an iPad mini. And I, I don't even know what model it is. It's fairly recent. I don't know. No, it's not that recent. It, 
I don't know. It's an iPad mini from a couple years ago. So I'm due to get a new one. I think I'm done with the iPad mini size. I think I want the 9.7 inch size. Um, just because I like having everything bigger. It's like the years since I've had this mini or the years where I'm starting to need, you know, bigger stuff to be able to read. Um, but I don't want to buy now. And I don't use an iPad enough at, to to be tempted at all to buy before they come out with the new ones. Yeah, same. It is – was, I think it was a, a good move and an interesting move that they went to move the price down as opposed to maxing out any sort of specs – on this new well, I think it's, revision, yeah, but it I, makes makes total sense. I yeah, mean, it's it's clear that the two places they need to go with the iPad is they need lower prices, and that's what this product is all about. And they need to keep pushing the Pro capabilities at the high end, you know, because it runs from, hey, this is just a three hundred dollar thing for a classroom full of kids in elementary school to. Or any coffee shop with right. a square reader, which is, you know. Right, right. Like just to put like. Almost a, everyone I go into now, they're using an, an actual iPad as the yeah. point of sale stuff. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, th- only $300. It's super easy. It's, you know, it seems to me like every place I go into that uses them as a reader, it, they work very well. It's They're fast, you know. Uh, so it's, but in cases like that, yeah, price is a bigger difference than. Um, power. I think they did a good job too of figuring out what are the things that are pro and which are the things that are not. Um, if there's anything, I'm a little bit I got, like I'm not surprised at all that it doesn't support the pencil because the pencil. I, I can only imagine that the support inside the iPad for the pencil is relatively expensive. You know that it's not like super cheap, and the pencil itself isn't cheap. And so, like, I don't think schools. For example, elementary schools that are so you know price sensitive, and we're hearing so much that they're super you know they're more price sensitive than ever. They're not going to buy Apple pencils for the kids because they're, surely they're going to get lost, snapped, you know, maybe the you know stolen. Who knows? So I don't think yeah, pencils keep, keep that for pro. I mean, you could you can use a dumb stylus with the right. regular iPad if you need to. Right. Uh, my only regret, my biggest regret for not having an iPad Pro right now. Uh, myself is the new app from the icon factory linea which mm. is a very cool drawing app uh but cle- and it works just fine as best as it possibly could on a non-pro ipad using these big fingertip shaped styluses like i have um but clearly it is meant for the pencil because it's a very very nice drawing app and i don't really it's not like I'm an illustrator, but it's it's my favorite drawing app that I've seen to date for the iPad. Uh, and so just as like a user interface nerd, I like playing with it to see what they've done. Um, but it's it, it's clear it it you know it's clearly I'm only getting half the experience by not having an Apple pencil right now. Uh, there's a thing that I saw where, where Apple told me about it really that. I don't have a link to it, but there's a Logitech case that Apple is promoting, especially in education with this new iPad. Um, And it's sort of, uh, you can see why Apple wouldn't make it himself. It's, it's thick. And it, so it's uh, in terms of like, it's, it goes, it's, it's both a case around the iPad itself. And it's more like one of those like gorilla cases or whatever they call them, where it's like a rugged and it's, it's really quite thick. But it also it it plugs into the lightning port, 
So it just wraps mm. around sort of like a battery case. Maybe it might even be a battery. I don't even know. It might, but it definitely plugs into the lightning port. And then it has a keyboard. Uh, there's two versions. There's one that's just a rugged case. And then there's one with a physical keyboard. So you can prop it up like a laptop. Um, and the reason why it plugs in the lightning port is that for standardized tests in K through 12, it's the ones that are computerized have to be done with a keyboard that has a physical connection to the computing device. You're not allowed to take a, the standardized tests do not allow the use of Bluetooth keyboards or mice. Huh? I, I presumably for like cheating type thing. Like you're not allowed, I guess it's, I guess the idea is that when the, when the device is in testing mode, is not allowed to have any wireless uh, I.O., which I guess makes some amount of sense. Just, you know, I'm not quite sure how they enforce it in software, but that's the idea. I mean, it's not dumb. We used to beam uh, Palm Pilot answers to each other in high school, so. Uh, you were ahead not of a, the curve. Not a dumb idea. I definitely was ahead of the curve. The teacher had no idea what, what that thing was, <laughs> but it's uh, interesting. Uh and I asked, so the smart connector counts as a wired connection. So if you wanted to, you could use an iPad Pro and a smart keyboard through the smart connector. That would count. That's not wireless because it is electricity flowing through a connector. Um, but it's the, you know, the iPad Pros and the expensive keyboard and everything is way outside the budget for, for elementary schools. But I thought that was interesting that they can't use Bluetooth. So I guess I'm a little surprised that the cheaper iPad, this new one, doesn't have the smart connector. I can see why it doesn't have the pencil. I'm a little surprised it doesn't have the smart connector, but maybe the smart connector adds enough to the cost that it really, you know, that to get all the way down to 329, you really do have to make hard decisions like that. Yeah, it's interesting. And and obviously the the screen not having anti-reflective coating on it. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't have the lamination of the display to the glass. So there's that very narrow air gap um, between the, you know, it just looks like the, the pixels are slightly lower. They are in fact, slightly further away from the surface of the glass than they are on the, like the iPad air two, the iPad pro and all the iPhones from recent years. But on a device that big, I saw one last week. It doesn't, it, it's not very noticeable. I don't know if I, you know, I guess I could do it side by side, but it just, if you just gave me one iPad and asked me to guess, I'm not sure if I could see it. Oh, it's new too. Mine has uh, some, I think some permanent fingerprints on it at this point, <laughs> even with the anti-reflective. So. I've told this story before, but <laughs> I, 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 it's one of my favorites. Uh, so one of the two times that I met uh, Steve Jobs personally was after the keynote when they announced the iPhone 4, which was the first Retina iPhone and the first one where the screen was fused to the glass. And it's the hands-on area. It was on the side hallway uh, beside the big keynote area in Moscone. And I was just hanging around. And I got to talk to Scott Forstall and he, you know, I'd, I'd never talked to him before and he obviously knew who I was and he said he read, you know, reads Daring Fireball, likes it a lot. And it was very complimentary. We had a great little discussion. Um, and, um, 
Katie Cotton was talking to me then. And then she said, would you like to meet Steve? And I just, I just said, has anybody ever said no to that? And she <laughs> laughed and said, no, actually, nobody has ever said no to that. And I said, sure. So she walked me over and introduced me. And I t- you know, was talking with, with Steve Jobs and Forstall. Um, and he asked what I thought of the phone. I said it was beautiful. I've been waiting for Retina screens forever, you know, high-resolution screens. Uh, we talked about other, I don't know, probably about five minutes, but it felt like it just rushed right by. But I said, like, about the lamination, and I had qu- a question about that, and he had all the details. He knew exactly how it worked. He's, in fact, he said they had to, you know, they, they, they had to invent the machines to do it. There was no, no, no factory in China could do it, so they invented their own machines and filled the factory in Foxconn with these Apple-invented machines to do it. And I said, so, but so there's literally no air gap anymore. It's impossible for like a piece of dust to get between the screen and the glass. And he he said, nope, it's absolutely impossible. And so I took out my personal 3GS and I said, so I can't get like, like this. And I showed him the piece of dust that (laughs) that was sort of like about right, right in the center of the screen horizontally. Or yeah, horizontally and about about two inches up from the bottom. And he he laughed and he said, "No, that can't happen again." But I that's awesome. I, I love that I got to show Steve Jobs the pieces of dust. And, yeah, in my iPhone. Nice. A good use of <laughs> a rare opportunity. <laughs> uh, what else did they have? They had the. Uh, was there any more hardware? I think the only. Well, they had thing- the they had the app, which right. was interesting, and to me this. The app is a sign that there's not an event coming before WWDC because that's the kind of thing that seemed like it would have been Dem- useful for a live demo. Demoable, totally demoable. Yeah. And in fact, in the briefing that I had, by far and away, the overall majority of the time was talking about clips and demoing clips and going through a sort of, you know, here's how you use it type thing. Um, Which is it out now? Because it's 2.3. No, it is coming out in quote unquote April. Uh, oh, <laughs> it was funny. So they said it, you know, it requires ten three, and I asked if that meant, uh, is it going to come out the same day ten point three comes out? Because you know they didn't have an announcement date for ten point three, and it was so typical Apple where the answer was, it, it it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out. They said to me, it's coming out in April and requires iOS 10.3. And I said, does that mean it's going to come out the same day 10.3 comes out? And their answer was, it's coming out in April and it requires iOS 10.3. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> You've had those answers too, right? Oh, or like, of course. And, and when they repeat the answer once and they do it, they don't do it like you're a moron. They don't, they don't do it as though they haven't told you that before. They, they do it with a, Please take a hint that this is all I, I can't, I'm not going to, I can't give you a yes or a no. So I took it to mean that maybe it was going to, and then maybe that's what they were shooting for. But I think what happened, they did know it wasn't coming out till April already. And I think I was there last Wednesday or I forget what day, but it was last week. Um, they did know that Clips wasn't coming out till April. And I think that maybe what happened is that 10.3 was ready first and they didn't want to hold it back. I don't think they like holding back iOS updates because of the security stuff in them. That when they, when they get the go ahead from their testing people that, Hey, this is, this is ready to ship. They, they ship it. But anyway, I think it's a great app. I, I know that at first there was sort of, it seemed like some of the initial reaction on Twitter was sort of a, 
oh, Apple's piling on this Me Too uh, Snapchat, Snapchat slash Instagram slash every single product Facebook owns stories sort of multimedia posting things. Um, and, and there's some part of that that's obviously there because Apple emphasize, is emphasizing that you can share these. They're just videos and you can share them to any service you want. Um, but they're not, they're not making their own social network to do it. It has nothing to do with the networking. It has just to do with the creation of this new sort of hybrid media format. And I find it fascinating. And I, I, in the time I got to play with it, I was super impressed with the app. It is to me, uh, so it is the software equivalent of AirPods, where hardware-wise, AirPods are my favorite new Apple product in a long time, and and to me is Apple at its best. Uh, I think Clips is the same thing with software. Sure, it's just a little thing; it's not like a major, uh, you know, a, a super major new thing. In the same way that hey, they're just headphones, right? It's sure, it's just a little way to make little animated movies. Um, but it's so well done. Like I described it on Twitter. I, I I worked on this tweet for a while, but I described it as it's as though Keynote and iMovie had a baby and the kid got all the best genes from both parents. <laughs> and if you want to look at it deeper and more strategically, it's also, you know, the one of the first, if not the first augmented reality software tools from Apple yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Uh, if, if you believe that they are building AR glasses and and the new iPhone might have some AR features in it. Uh, seems pretty obvious to start shipping that kind of stuff. Well, I guess it kind of is an AR feature. I don't, I don't know. It does. It definitely. Um, it, is it AR? I don't know if it qualifies. But like, for example, if I would, AR is kind of a murky thing to define. Because right. Like you know, in some senses, Pokemon Go was AR, but in others, it's not really. It's just you know, a game. So right. In some sense, I, I almost feel yeah. Like let's not worry about the what what is and is not augmented reality, and it's it, it in, a, in a capital A capital R sense. But instead, just think about the ways that these devices with especially the camera, but other, other, and the microphone, the camera and microphone are obviously the two main inputs, but other sensors as well are, are aware of their, where they are and how they're being used. And so the example with clips is if I'm shooting you and I'm putting you in a clip, it does real time facial recognition and knows that you're, that Dan Fromer is in the clip. And so it's already there. And I, I forget exactly how that comes into play. I know one way that it comes into play is when I'm done making the clip, it and I go to share it. It'll if it knows that you were in the clip, it'll suggest sending it to you. Oh, that's cool. Um, there might be other things too, though, that you can do within the clip to to somehow get you labeled or something like that. You know, my my number one feature request from the internet is still the feed of photos that I'm in the background of. Yeah, taken by all random people. Yeah, some some somewhere that exists that just hasn't been turned on yet. Well, it's called the NSA. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right? True. <laughs> yes. But some somebody's going to make a public version of that, and it it will be weird. But you know, uh, I remember reading a story. It just it's sort of a tangent, but I remember seeing reading a story in Wired magazine 
I'm going to say 10 years ago, but I don't even know if I was still reading Wired 10 years ago. So it might have been 15 or 20 years ago. But somebody was writing about um, as as municipalities and cities put cameras at intersections and stuff like that, you know, and that there's video monitoring of public spaces that the right way to, you know, it's right for everybody to be concerned about privacy and, and access to the footage. But the way to deal with it isn't to lock it down super tight and only allow like the police to see it. And the way to do it is to make them public so that if there's a, you know, if there's a, traffic camera at 15th and locust and the police can get the footage of it. Everybody should be able to get the footage of it over the internet. Because if I was standing there, I could see what's going on at the corner. So if there's a camera there and it's a publicly owned camera, why can't I get the footage of the camera? And there's some sense to that, that to me, but you know, I, I, I'm not saying I completely agree with it, but I can see the logic behind it. And I can sort of see the logic of, look, if, if some entities are collecting background information about who's in all these pictures that are being posted to Twitter, maybe everybody should have that information. Because hmm. the picture's on, if, if it's a public picture, right? If the pi- picture's been posted to Twitter, it's there, why not notify me of it? I'm not sure about that. Anyway, clips. Yeah. I, I think clips is pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm pumped for that one. That should be cool. But that's I, the kind of thing where, you know, I I guess that if there was going to be a a time to show that publicly and give a 10 15 minute demo of it, it would be that on would stage. Be more desirable. Yeah, that would be on stage, and that'd be more desirable than, you know, whatever. However many places were pre briefed and and got to yeah. well, demo it. Yeah, because it's hard. Because even even if they have exciting new like 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 the i all right it's just a red iphone 7 really i mean you know it's the red is nice but it's not really demoable on stage like ultimately it's the type of thing you really need to see in person everybody needs to go to a store and see it to really appreciate it because you know it's going to look good in the product photography so the quite you know the real question for anybody who's actually thinking about buying one is what does it look like in person so showing it on stage doesn't really help iphone se has more storage well that you can't demo that that's that is at best one slide and what seven seconds of stage time. Software like Clips is what you need to actually fill a presentation. Which also says that there's too much at WWDC to save that for. Maybe I don't know, or maybe they just, it's one know. of those things where it's ready to go and they want to get it out. You know, yeah. they. Uh, one of the things that worked well for me, at least in my brief demo time, uh, in admittedly an. In- you know, enclosed environment, so it wasn't lots of public noise or anything like that. Um, but the way that you, when you speak, when you, you, you can set, it doesn't do it all the time, but you can turn on like a title style, and while the title style is on, it will, you speak to the camera, what you're saying turns into these animated titles. Oh, cool. Uh, it works very well. And it it does it in a, depending on the style, I think, but at least in certain of the styles, the words only appear as you speak them. So, um, and one of the things that they're super cognizant of, and it's clearly designed for, is that um, you, these videos, they have sound, and they even have all these cool music soundtracks you can do with them, but that the assumption is that in many contexts, they're going to be played with the sound off because people are at work or they're in public and... Nobody, nobody likes video that auto plays with sound. Um, 
And so that's why they, I think they put so much emphasis on these titles. Um, but it's really pretty cool the way that the titles sync up with the words you're saying as you're saying them. And, and it seems like the sort of thing that would take a lot of fiddling with, uh, in the software to do, but you don't, you just, you just turn on the title and as you're holding the button, it happens automatically. You get the result is you get an effect that looks like it took a lot of precision editing and instead you got it automatically. That's, that's cool. That sounds uh, as close to magic as we can get these days almost. Yeah. I think maybe the the single most Apple-y thing about it is that among the soundtracks that, that they've commissioned, they, number one, they've commissioned a whole bunch of these soundtracks of different styles, but they've had the artists who make them make them in a whole bunch of different lengths. So the same song, if you make just a little four-second clip, there's a version of it that, that maybe isn't recorded as exactly four seconds, but there's a version for, hey, what if the clip is only like three to five seconds long? We'll use this one. And there's a beginning and an end that makes sense. But if you have a 30-second clip, it's the same song, but it's it's a different version that is meant to be roughly 30 seconds long. But the part that's super Apple-y is that they have ones that are that were uh, created by Hans Zimmer. <laughs> they nice. actually paid Hans Zimmer to, to do some of these. <laughs> like every other tech company in the world, I think, would have might have hired somebody like you know, Zahn Himmer, you know, make us something that sounds like a Hans Zimmer song. And instead Apple went and paid Hans Zimmer to do it. It's pretty cool. Did you get a sense it's mostly for tall screen video for mobile video, or is it also for uploading YouTube and stuff? It is. In fact, the app only works when you're holding it tall screen. Hmm. The app does not rotate. Uh, But the format is like old school Instagram. It is only and always square. Oh, wow. Uh, And it is intended uh, for consumption on mobile first. And they, they, I asked about that. This is great that you asked because it was one of my big questions. Um, If you import, so anything you shoot while you're in clips is always automatically square. If you import from your library a a photo or a video that you shot in a you know rectangular format it crops to a square but you get to pan and scan within it to where you want it and if it's a video you can it's not just like you pick the square and the whole thing you can change it as the video plays like which which portion oh, wow. of it appears in the square that's what i mean about it being a very you know like a keynote slash iMovie esque caliber app like Every little thing like that that I could think of during the demo, they were like, yes, it already does that. Like, I, I thought I had them pegged on a whole bunch of these things. I thought, oh, well, what happens if the beginning of the video, the center is the best part, but at the end of the video, the best part's over on the right? They've, it, it handles that. And so the idea, so- the idea is they said, this is one of the things they said about going with Square, is that on mobile, Square always looks good. Um, and what they've noticed is that a lot of people... Um, in their observations, even when they're watching 16 to 9 horizontal video on their phone, if it's a short clip, they don't even bother rotating the phone. They just watch it tiny and centered in their phone as it's held tall because it's so much more comfortable to hold your phone tall than to hold it sideways. 
Yeah, I definitely do that. What sense do you get on why they made something like this? It seems kind of, you know, used to make stuff like this, like photo booth on, on the Mac because there was a camera on the front of the MacBook and you needed something to do with it. But I it think seems like they do this less often now. I do think so. And I think that's why I'm so, that's why it makes me so happy because I do think that making creative tools is what Apple does best. And I think it's a sense. I, it, you know, they don't really, they generally, Apple doesn't generally like to explain the why behind a lot of things, but I just think it's because they could and they knew that they could do a good job. I think they saw an opportunity. And I think that what they saw, this, I guess they kind of did say was that they could kind of see that this hybrid format is becoming a new thing you know that it's like at a meta level above a video or a, a still photo or even just a still photo with uh like a, a static annotation over it you know how like you can make in in mail now like if i paste an image in mail i can edit the hit click the little toolbox and and draw like an arrow or circle something on the image um that 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 a sort of combination between a video and an annotated image is becoming a new format and that they could make a tool that, that does it better. And it really does. It does also all the things that you think you could do. Like when you um, drag out a thought bubble or something like that, you can pinch it to scale it. You can two finger twist it to rotate it. You can drag it anywhere you want on the canvas Everything you think you should be able to do to the little things you drag out and put on the on the canvas, you can do. So it's I and it, I know and I think some of it is we know how to do this already, right? Like the end result is a is a format that's sort of new, but the the little things you can do, you know, Apple already had some of the software to do it. It's interesting though with the square aspect ratio because then i i don't know if you can make much use of this uploading to an instagram stories or snapchat or something like that so it is not super useful for that i guess well i wonder though maybe what people will do with them though is upgrade them to as a regular instagram post true which i'm doing less of now because of the stories so maybe that'll be useful yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if I've ever even posted an Instagram story. I don't know what to make of it. With Instagram uh, stories, I you, love it. I in, think it's great, but I can see why people don't do it too. But with Instagram stories, correct me if I'm wrong. You can't pick from your library. You've got to create a new thing right now on the fly. No, you can use anything from the last 24 hours. That was kind of something they did differently than Snapchat. Snapchat won't let you. Used to not let you pick from the library. Now you kind of can, but it's not super great. Um, so if I make a clip and save it to my library, I could upgrade, upload it as an Instagram story. Yes. Yeah, I think people might do that. I really do because I think that it's a richer editing tool. It's 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 got. But it'll be it'll zoom in then because Instagram stories will take up the full sixteen by nine vertical frame. So uh, it'll. I wonder if it'll zoom in or if it'll just crop it, or you know, like letterbox it. It will zoom in. Oh. Well, then maybe. That, well, at least that's what it does with still photos. I have not actually tried it with yeah. a square video. Yeah. I think it will zoom in. Hmm. Well, I don't know. But some people who do like some more so – I've noticed some people I think using either iMovie or 
final cut to make crazy, you know, effects in their Instagram stories and then popping it in there. Obviously using tools you couldn't use in the native Instagram app. Yeah. But most people obviously don't do that. Most people are using the Instagram tools. Well, it, I don't know. Again, I'm not a story user, so maybe I'm the wrong person to judge it. But I would think that if you take the time to use clips, which is a little bit more effort than just whipping it out, you know, just doing it live in the Instagram app. If you're going to take the time to use clips, you probably want to post it as a regular post anyway and not have it disappear. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I I am really excited about it, and I just think, it, from what I saw, it is really, really well done. It's it's not just that the features are well done, but even the um, uh, the user experience. I don't know what you call it, but the 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 layout of the app is very, very, very thoughtfully done. Like in a way, in it, the best sort of. Uh, structure to the entire user interface, which is that I think most people will never even think, wow, this has a really nice interface because it's just so obvious, you know, like it's when you do it right, it, it, it just disappears. All, all it is, is just two layers. It's like at the root level, there's just a horizontal stream of your clips that you've already made. So you can select a clip that you're like halfway through Clip meaning a project, right? So you can select one that you're already already made, and it opens back up again. Uh, and then that's that's the only two layers. There's one for choosing, and then you tap one or make add the plus button to create a new one, and you're in the clips editor. And within the clips editor, there's only just a few things you can do, and you it's there's no way to get lost. You know, like one of the I I, I feel like apps like Instagram, like Instagram has broken all the rules of what Instagram is by adding all these new features, right? Like when you swipe from the left to go to the thing where you edit your stories or whatever the hell that is, like, where are you in the app spatially? You're, it's just something they made up. You're, there's no on-screen indication of where you are, like as opposed to the old Instagram where you were always in one of the five tabs at the bottom of the screen. Well, actually, if you do it now, there's a little slider that kind of suggests that you're going toward the camera. There's a little slider thing. But yeah, I, I, I kind of get what you're going at. They, they definitely borrowed a lot of this navigational concept from Snapchat, which right. was very confusing at first, but now... Well, and the other one, too, is you can so. slide to the other side, too, and you're in your direct messages. And I know what you mean. I see what you mean that there's... I, I'm looking at it right now. The, yes, I see the little indicator that it's over there, but... And Instagram to me is better than almost certainly better than Snapchat. I mean, Snapchat it feels like a fever dream to me. I mean, I honest to God feel like I'm losing my mind when I a just try to understand the app and b try try to understand how it's fabulously popular. <laughs> it really does make me feel like I'm losing my goddamn mind. Uh, whereas Instagram was always, I mean, right from the first day that it shipped, I was like, oh, I love the design of this app. I get it. And and uh, my design sensibilities are sympathetic with the people who designed this. Even now that they've added these things, I still think that the people who design Instagram are are of a like mind to me. Um, but I still feel like it's kind of confusing. Yeah. I guess the other thing that I saw along these same lines is I did see some day one criticism from people on Twitter of why is this a separate app? Why didn't they just make this part of the camera app? And I think that that's that it, what I'm talking about is exactly why I'm glad Apple did not do that. I think the camera app already kind of has a lot of stuff going on, and 
this is very different than like the camera app is all about getting one shot, either a still or a video clip. And clips is all about making editing multiple clips together into a thing. Like I, I feel like separating it into its own second app is exactly uh, the right thing for Apple to do. And I think it's exactly why iOS is so much less cluttered than the Mac. I mean, that whole, why don't you put it in the Apple in the same app is exactly how iTunes got from a simple music. Library. Right. I was going to say, these are the same people who are there was a complaining time, about iTunes bloat. Maybe there was a time when iTunes was like the perfect example of an app that did one thing really well. It really was. Yeah. It was okay. Instead of having a giant folder full of MP3s, just throw them all into iTunes. It'll sort them all out, and you've got a nice little music library that's organized by artist, by album, <laughs> and every other feature they added, like the visualizers and stuff, was at least related to music playback. And so, you know. I always whenever you think like why not add that to the camera app just think that's that's how camera app turns into iTunes in 5 years. Plus if it extends to new sensors like you know IR facial stuff or whatever that you may not yeah. want in the main camera app. Yeah. Either. Then nope. So anyway, I think Clips is going to be pretty popular, but it's not out yet, so I guess we should stop talking about it. All right. Um, We're done. Let me take a break and thank our next sponsor. It is our good friends at Casper. Casper makes an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Go to casper.com slash the talk show and use code the talk show for 50 bucks towards your mattress. With one exception, I will tell you about in a moment. Casper created one perfect mattress. They have engineers, mattress engineers. That's a real thing. They make one type of mattress. It's a combination of memory foam and some other type of foam that's just the right amount of bounce, just the right. You don't, uh, it's madness buying mattresses from other companies where they have seven different types of mattresses to choose from. All you should have to do is choose the size of bed you have and then get a good mattress. That's it. And that's the way Casper works. You pick a size, there's only one style, they ship it to you. In a crazy small box, at least crazily small compared to the size mattress that it is, you open it according to their instructions. Take it up to your bedroom first. Don't open it downstairs. Take it to the bedroom. Open it up in there. It sucks all the air out of the room. So be careful. You know, don't you know, hold your breath while it while it unfolds. And then shh, you've got a full size mattress right there in your room. It's a great mattress. I've talked to I've I've convinced family members to buy these things and everybody's like, "Wow, that is an amazing mattress." I, I mean, it's it's this is probably like the one product that I hawk here on the talk show that I've actually uh gotten the most people that I know personally to buy. It it really is. It is such an easier way to buy a mattress and it is a great mattress. I don't everybody I've I've personally convinced to buy one loves it. Uh even if you don't, though, what they have is a 100-night home trial. So you have 100 days after you get it, and if you don't like it, you call them up, and they just come send somebody to pick it up at your house, get it out of your house, and they give you a full refund. No questions asked. Uh, that's how confident they are in the quality of the mattress. Uh, so go to casper.com slash the talk show and use that code, the talk show, for 50 bucks towards your next mattress. 
only downside to that code is it doesn't work on their dog mattresses because the dog mattress already costs so little. But I'm telling you right now, if you have a dog and you need a mattress for your dog, get the Casper. Your dog will love it. I, I, I keep talking about this, but everybody who has dogs who listens to the show is like, this is my dog loves this thing. He won't get up from it. So there you go. My thanks to Casper. Oh, what else do we have to talk about this week, Dan? I got to get Ralford one of those uh, dog beds. You should. Although I just, I just got him one one of these wacky ones that that they crawl into, and it's like hmm. almost a sleeping bag. He's not into it. He hmm. thinks it's ridiculous. So, uh, what else? I'll should check we t- it out. Well, we should talk about the Samsung thing. I think it's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so I think it was yesterday. You know, I, wrote, I wrote a yeah yesterday. The I did, you know <laughs> I I actually forgot that the event was yesterday, <laughs> which I was. I was invited to it. I forgot to put it on my calendar. I would have totally gone and checked it out in person. So, uh, whoops. Um, and also, we probably lost a lot of traffic on Recode because I didn't write up uh, a preview for it. Uh, but it looks like the it looks like it was pretty much solely focused on the new Galaxy S8. I think it's called, yeah. which usually is the sh- the phone they show off in February at Mobile World Congress. It's Samsung's big phone. Uh, especially important this year because their last big phone, which was the Note 7, was the one that was catching on fire. So, you know, not not only was this an important uh, flagship phone for them, but also kind of a uh, back from the dead moment. Also, they have all kinds of weird corporate shit going on that's not good. No. Uh, <laughs> that's- <laughs> The only, so anyway, it, the only company that thinks that thinks Samsung's had a good run in the last year is probably Uber. Yeah, <laughs> those lucky SOVs. But yeah, yeah Samsung's right. had people go into jail or, or at least getting a, a, a criminally investigated for bribery scandals. They the 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 Note S7 thing is is I've seen it in several cases, and everybody and this is the worst part if you're Samsung is every single article about the S8 mentions that. Six months ago, they had to recall their last flagship phone because they were exploding. And so it's like it, – it, So a lot riding on this one. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen it in person, uh, but people who study these things really like it. Um, you know, the, it's still – for me, the biggest problem is that it's running Android, so I would never use it. Yeah, but, and not just Android, uh, but Samsung's like corrupted version of Android. Do you know yeah, what now, I mean? And now that gets to a now that becomes even more problematic because here they have their own their own version of Google Assistant called Bixby, yeah, which is a strange name. Um, but uh, but people are saying the hardware looks nice, and so I wrote a uh, a post yesterday on Recode, basically pointing out, you know, here we are again, where Apple is now behind the industrial design kind of trend with phones again. Um, you know, last time, I, I would say last time it was more important. Last time is when it took Apple, I think, a year or two, probably too long to see that people were really into big phones. Uh, that's more of a functional design thing than than cosmetic. But now we're at a phase where, you know, Apple theoretically has a new phone coming out this fall that's going to look more like these newer ones with no bezel and edge-to-edge screen, but maybe not. Maybe you know, I don't. I don't know. What if something happens and it doesn't happen? And, and now here we are, where they are 
six months behind, maybe a year and a half behind the trend. Yeah. Um, and is that a is that a huge problem? Probably not in the grand scheme of things. But if I'm, I mean, if I'm Apple, I want to be ahead. I don't want to be coming from behind all the time. So I don't think it's great. Whether it'll affect sales or not, which is ultimately. I think what matters it probably I think it probably won't but I think at a personal level Apple wants to unveil if the, I and I, I everybody all the rumors seem to suggest that this is the year when there's going to be a new iPhone that looks instantly before you even turn the screen on looks like a new iPhone not just a new color but it's you know a new form factor um with some you know quote unquote edge to edge display um and I think Apple, when they have a product like that to unveil, in particular, the most important product in the company and the most popular product in the company, they want the biggest wow factor as possible during the keynote when they do the unveil. And I can't help but think that you're right, that this Samsung Galaxy S8 in particular, I know there are other Android phones that are creeping closer to an edge to edge design and have smaller chins and foreheads and use curved OLEDs to get the display closer to the sides. But this seems like the one that is closest in general principle to the vague descriptions we've heard of what Apple's doing. I don't know. This that, one will ship in volume. I mean, yeah, the, I don't know if you saw the, the tweet from Andy Rubin who, you know, for, most people should know Andy Rubin, but he created the the Sidekick and then Android and ran Android. You know, obviously ran Android for a long time. Now he's working on a new handset company, supposedly. I think it's called Essential or something like yeah. that. And he tweeted a couple days ago this thing that was basically a you know a fake spy shot of an edge to edge Android phone and said, "Can't wait for everyone to get their hands on this." And then yesterday, Eric Schmidt tweeted it out and. You know, looks looks nice. I haven't seen it in person. I don't know how well it works, but looks damn good. And and I think Xiaomi had one too. But the Samsung ones the is the first one that's going to ship in volume. Yeah. Um, you know, especially approaching volume of an iPhone. So uh, I I think it's a bummer to be able to not be able to be the first to make. Uh, you know, a really truly impressive industrial design these days. But who knows? Maybe Apple has something that will even next to this you know, look like a next generation thing. You don't know, but it, I can't entirely help, possible, but I can't help but think that that's, that they're getting beaten to the punch um, in some way, at least. And I think it's, so I, got, I got a little pushback on that, but I, I, I second day, I hold, I hold pretty strong to it. I think that, uh, no, I'm, not, I'm not with the you. Best. I think, I think it, you know, uh, I, you know, who knows? I think one of the areas, you know, like with the race to bigger iPhones, Apple was obviously caught flat because they, I think that they really didn't foresee that, that bigger, significantly bigger screens were going to be popular. I really don't think, I really do think they got caught by surprise by that. Wasn't uh, that kind of by accident too? Didn't, didn't Android phones have to be bigger because they couldn't get what was it? The battery or the LTE or something that's like that my, had that, to be. That's my theory. My theory was that that Android phones to keep up with the performance of iPhones had to be bigger. Um, but it turned out people liked them, and right. I love it. I'm I'm a seven plus guy, no regrets. Right. Um, but but I think Apple clearly got caught 
flat on that because I think bigger bigger Android phones started getting popular around 2011, and Apple didn't come out with one until 2014. And we even learned from the lawsuit. Uh, I forget if the email came from Schiller or just somebody in Schiller's product marketing group, but there was you know an email that was entered into evidence from Apple product marketing um, that you know the public wants what we don't have bigger phones. Um, and you know, the success of the iPhone SE, you know, which sold in greater quantity than Apple expected. They even said that in, during a, a quarterly report last year, like three months after the iPhone SE came out, that they were having trouble keeping up with demand because it was more popular. It, that's not to say everybody likes big phones. People like small phones too. They like, you know, you know, it, it's a Goldilocks type thing, you know, small, medium, large, if people have different tastes. Um, but I think in this case, they're not caught flat. They've clearly been working towards reducing the bezel size on their devices every step of the way. You know, the iPads used to have the thick bezel around all four sides and years ago reduced the the bezel on the side. The side bezels on this side of the iPhone have gotten closer to the edge over the years. Um, so I don't think it's it, – they just – I don't think they got caught flat. I just think they got beaten to the market. And I think part of it is because the Apple can't make – like Samsung has a bit of an advantage in terms of uh, being aggressive with their designs because they don't bank on just one phone per year as being the new design. They they you know come out with the Note 7 and Notes in the fall and come out with the Galaxy S models in the spring. Um, and then whatever, 200 other – Right, and when models they, in between, and but. when they first came out with the Edge, they even called it the Edge, the whatever Samsung Galaxy Edge. I think was might have been the full name of the device. It wasn't the only one. There was a, a sibling to it with very similar specs that came out at the same time that didn't have the edge to edge, and I guess sold for less money. But that way, they didn't have to come up with as many of the presumably more expensive, harder to make, flexible displays to do the Edge thing to account for all of their sales. Whereas whatever Apple's coming up with, if it's supposed to be the flagship iPhone, um, they have to be able to make 70 million of them in the first quarter. Which I, I'm not really into that edge thing anyway. I always found that to be obnoxious. But So it would be interesting to see how much curvature to the display Apple ends up going with if they do something similar to that. Yeah, and and what they use it for. Like, are they going to use it for content, or is it going to light up with other colors sort of just to show you, like, you know, like I could see them doing it where it goes black while you're using email, and only the flat part is lit up with your email. But when you go to your home screen, maybe your wallpaper goes edge to edge or something like that. And if you remember, Samsung actually started off trying to get people to use it almost as a second screen, like to have yeah. more information on it. But I, I would guess no developers actually ended up supporting that yeah. for anything worthwhile. So yeah. they kind of gave up on that, it seems. Yeah. And then, you know, filed under the, we actually don't have, even just speculative rumors, we don't really have a lot of information about the Apple's next iPhone, mm-hmm. other than the the supply chain stuff that they're, they're asking for a lot of these flexible OLED displays. Um, but what they're actually going to use it for, nobody knows. So who knows? I mean, maybe they'll replace you know the volume buttons with virtual volume yeah. buttons. 
<laughs> I kind of dread that. I, uh, but on the other hand, I'm I'm totally on team. It took me a, a while to convince myself that I'm 100 percent on the team, but I am. After after six months, I'm on team virtual home button. You know, the button that doesn't actually move on the iPhone Seven. So I don't know. With some kind of proper haptics, I could see maybe switching to virtual volume buttons. I don't know. I like the virtual home button, but I also like the fact that it is depressed a little there, and that right. you have a, a border to press on. So right. I don't know. I don't know how that works on a bigger. Right. But the, the new Samsung does have that virtual. It's all virtual yeah. buttons now on the at least on the lower side. There is a hardware button for the assistant, which is weird. Yeah. But. Here's an idea that occurred to me: is you know how you can uh, you can click the volume buttons to snap a photo on the iPhone. And that used to be like a hack. Like there were third-party camera apps in the App Store that did it before Apple's built-in camera app did. Um, and then Apple like kicked them out because it wasn't allowed. You were only supposed to use volume buttons for volume. And then they were like, well, maybe that's a good idea. And they added it to the actual system camera. Um, oh, I, I use it all the time. Okay. But it, they're not in a great location for snapping pictures. Like sometimes you do want a button that's not where the on-screen button is. You want it on the side. Where right. you really want it is top right when you're holding the phone with the camera lens at the top left. Yeah, I, I accidentally turn the power off at least half the time. Right, when because you squeeze. To do the, yeah, and which is horrible thing, and yeah. possibly disastrous if you're trying to capture like a fleeting moment. So in theory, if Apple has a touchscreen that wraps around the edge, they could, when you're in the camera mode, they could make a virtual button at the top right. Or just the whole phone. I mean, the the penalty for shooting too many photos is pretty low. Right. And just Just, just delete them. Right. And give you haptic feedback for when you actually snap the photo. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that could be kind of cool. Oh, let me tell you, one of my favorite things in clips was, uh, let's say you, you string together three, three pieces of video in a clip, and there's that little timeline at the bottom that shows you the thumbnails. So if you uh, force touch on like the middle one, it pops up, and you can drag it to reorder them. And when it pops up, you get like this beautiful little subtle pop. Hmm. It is a super, super terrific and subtle use of uh, haptic feedback. I've no, I've noticed uh, several app makers trying to tap into that recently. In fact, I think Twitter just added haptics when you star a tweet hmm. when you when you fave a tweet, which is not called faving anymore. No, um, it's always, it only works. It, it's always faving it, in my heart. It still it doesn't work most of the time. Like it works sometimes, but <laughs> then a bunch of the time it just doesn't uh, pop the yeah. taptic engine. So I don't know. It's been interesting to see a lot of pull to refresh haptics and yeah. stuff like that. What Sometimes you, it's nice, but a lot of times it seems. So one of the things that the Galaxy S8 does, and and in the leaked screenshot from Andy Rubin of their phone, uh, which I can't help but think was was purposefully timed. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, subtweet. All right, and especially Eric Schmidt retweeting it yesterday on the day of Samsung's event was, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> in fact, he, not only did Eric Schmidt retweet it, but here he said, uh, "Phenomenal new choices for Android <laughs> users coming very soon." An example. It's like f you, Samsung. Yeah. <laughs> oh, then he said, "Big week for Android. Samsung looks great." Okay, right. Well, well thank you, Eric. someone someone whispered in his ear. 
hey man, do you know who sells the most Android phones still? Yeah, he tweeted the other one first. Yeah. All right, I will I will put that in the show notes as well. There I am. I'm copying and pasting right now. This is oh. not a lie. It's really there. Um, I, there's just no doubt in my mind, though, that I, I really do. I don't think it's unfair for you to have written it. I really do think that that, that Apple is going to be late to the edge-to-edge design. I mean, now maybe they've got something else and they're going to kick it to the next level. But at the very least, as things stand right now today at the end of March 2017, Apple is behind the curve on the size of the bezels of the iPhone. Maybe the most convincing kind of counter-argument to that was, well, yeah, but then in December, they'll have the newest one, uh, which is true. And that's when they sell the most phones in the fourth quarter. So they will have the newest one. But I don't know. I don't think it looks great. This is is similar to when they would, you know, when when they used to uh, sometimes come close to not destroying their quarterly numbers relative to wall street's expectations and the whole point is that apple is uh, you know an exceptional company they're supposed to destroy expectations right. not just come close to them so yeah. do you think they will see the the andy rubin one's interesting because it now has a curved corners of the screen too do you think we'll see rounded I'm just about to ask corners on ios we'll take a look at it uh, the s8 has round corners too oh I don't know if that is a trend or with the Andy Rubin one. If you guys look at it, who knows? Maybe we can we can get this. Maybe you can just look down at your phone and and we'll. There's fancy new stuff, fancy technology we can do in these podcasts right now. We could, in theory, be showing you Andy Rubin's leaked shot right now. Just look at your phone. You may not even have to go to a website. Try that. We'll we'll see if we can get this to work. Um, with the Andy Rubin one, it literally is edge to edge. There is no chin or forehead, or at least there's no forehead. We can't see the chin, but there's no forehead. <laughs> Chin's like three inches long. Right. So the corners on, on the phone that he leaked, have to, the corners of the display have to be rounded unless you are going to make a sharp cornered edge phone, which is possible. I've seen some Sony phones that have like actual squared off corners that that look good. Um but it has to be rounded. Samsung seems more like a design choice, like they wanted to round them off. I honestly yeah. don't know what to think about that. I, I, It doesn't really make sense to me in iOS because things go corner to corner. I mean, look at where the battery icon and the little dots to indicate your cell signal are. I mean, there's no room to round those off. And I don't want them squished towards the middle. Was it Palm? Was it WebOS that had the rounded corners too? Well, the original Macintosh did. True, true. Uh, and in but more fact, recently, yeah, uh, the the Mac, the classic Mac, had rounded off corners, but the display wasn't really rounded off. They were rounded off virtually. It actually just painted black pixels in the corner to give the overall display. I remember that during startup, like you right. sometimes you'd start up and it was square, and then you'd right. Get the, uh, and you could see it when you moved the mouse to the corner, corner too, because the the uh, the white mask around the black arrow would still light up around the corner, if I recall oh, correctly. Really? <laughs> um, just so that you could still see the mouse if it was hidden in the corner, because if they just painted it, if it went underneath the black, you might not see the mouse on screen, if I recall correctly. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. It's sort of. I I, I certainly don't think they should fake round the corners. I think if they could make them square, they should, but I don't know. It seems like a trend this year, at least. Yeah. Samsung, and and they're actually using that 
forehead and chin um, as kind of a branding thing. Somewhere around the office, I just saw like a booklet they, I guess they gave out yesterday of like the design process of the S8, and they they're really highlighting that forehead and chin um, as like line art. It's hmm. kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a distinctive look. I mean, it you know, and it certainly can't be accused of copying Apple on that on that front. Uh, a couple of the other things that stuck out to me, though, with the S8 is that the removal of the or, – or not removal because it does have a chin and forehead. Um, but the forehead and chin, they are symmetric. They're, they're the same size. But the forehead is so small that it no longer – this is the first flagship phone they've ever made that doesn't have a big, ugly Samsung logo printed on the front. <laughs> and I think it's so funny that of all the things that they were copied shamelessly from Apple over the years, the one thing they never could bring themselves to do was to have the hum- brand humility to ship a phone without a logo on the front face. I've never understood that. Cause, and A, because I think it, it, the fun, I don't want to see a logo on the front face. I really want the content. And it goes back to you and me talking about the black versus white borders around the screen. I just don't want anything to distract me from the content. Um, but secondarily it, their, their logo is fucking ugly. <laughs> it's an ugly ass logo. Totally. And these phones and especially tablets are often used both, uh, horizontally and vertically. And so the logo can't be right all the time. And I realized that yes, Apple prints their Apple logo on the back of the iPhone. And every time you hold the phone sideways, the logo is sideways, but it's not, it's not facing me. It's facing out, you know? And there's, you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I mean, people obviously love the the Apple logo on their phones because so many of the cases I see have a circle cut out of it for the for the damn thing. Um, so I thought that was weird. There's no, there's no, uh, not weird, but notable that there's no uh, Samsung logo on the front face. And then the other thing is that the the chin is so small that there's no longer a physical home button or fingernail or fingerprint sensor. On, it gets too small, presumably. So now they've moved the fingerprint sensor to the back, and it's off-center to the side of the camera lens, which is totally a gross design, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah uh, that's not that's not good. I have the Google Pixel, uh, and it's, a, it's my favorite Android device I've ever used. And that has a fingerprint sensor in the back of the phone, roughly like where the Apple logo is on, a, on an iPhone. Um, but at least it's centered. I, I don't love it. I think it's worse than having it on the bottom of the phone. Um, but it's okay. But at least it's centered. And at least it isn't going to cover up the camera lens, you know, when you're using it. Where does the speaker go in the in the front-facing camera? Does that go in the top of the phone, or is that just built in with no grill on it? I think it's, I think it's at the top of the phone. I, it's hard to tell. At least when you look, there were, there were leaks of Samsung S8s that had a white face and you could see there's a whole bunch of holes in the top, a whole bunch of sensors up there, but it looks to me like, and again, getting back to black versus white, I think all of the Samsung Galaxy S8s with the various color backs all have a black front unless I'm, unless I missed something. I don't know, but I think it's all at the top. And they're you know presumably a microphone at the and speakers at the bottom too. I don't know. The one last weird thing I know about the S8 is that they've added a, a dedicated hardware button for Bixby. Yeah, that seems like a mistake because I'm guessing Bixby is going to be crap. Is that the one that uses the 
Siri guys thing or no? The no, I well, I don't know. I don't know if they've had time to integrate that. So what was that? That was like the second. The guy who invented the team that invented the original Siri sold it to Apple. Was with Apple for a while, and then they all left and started a new thing along the same lines again. And Samsung acquired them. Uh, I don't know if Bixby's based on that already, or if that's too soon and they aren't, but haven't been able to integrate it. But presumably, if it's not already, it will soon. Seems like a weird thing to have a dedicated hardware button for. Yeah, I can't see. Viv was the name of the Viv. other one, and I don't there see. I'm looking at. Uh, it certainly it doesn't seem Google to me results. From, it doesn't seem to me that that the features they're saying that uh, that Bixby does doesn't sound anything like the stuff that Viv was doing. Like Viv was doing some pretty complex stuff, like booking flights for you, uh, and Bixby seems more like take me back to my inbox type stuff. Sounds like Bixby is not a Viv thing yet. Right. And I don't know if it becomes Viv powered or if Viv replaces Bixby or. <laughs> I don't know. Someone said yesterday, get me the first app that will remap that button to summon uh, Google Assistant so I can skip, <laughs> skip all this crap I'm, anyway. I so. was wondering if somebody would figure out a way to hack it to map it to be a camera shutter. Oh. Because that's the one thing, if if I were going to add another button to the iPhone, I would probably. I don't know that I need I, that I would, but if you said you have to add a button and it does something, I'd say, well, make it a camera shutter. And if the camera's not open and I hit it, it'll jump me to the camera. Yeah, the ph- phones used to have that. Yes, a lot of. Uh, I think the Apple micro- never did it, but no, uh, Microsoft phones did it. I think the yeah. the Windows phones had had shutters. The one button the iPhone has that I, most other phones don't have, but I love it, is the uh, mute switch. Yes, I don't understand why the other. I don't understand why other phones don't have a mute switch. I love the mute switch. I can't. I cannot believe that all these other phones to mute the phone, you've got to actually use the screen, even if it's a pretty simple. Unlock it. Swipe down. Tap the you know, like the equivalent of putting airplane mode on an iPhone. Uh, I'm not saying it's onerous, but I, I don't know. I use the mute switch so many times. And if I'm in a situation where I definitely just want my phone to be muted, I love that I can do it without looking at it. It's kind of the one thing you'd want to be able to do without looking at the phone. Right. And making sure that it's not going to embarrass you in the meeting you're in. Right. Or like you're at a wedding or something like that. And you're like, just let me double check for the 30th time that my phone is definitely mute. Yeah, I hate go. I hate that they took it off the iPad because there I would use it for I do too orientation I, I, lock nope. and to me that's a very very everyday feature yeah but, it was for me too and it's actually one of the reasons I've I've stuck with uh, to, again a throwback to an hour ago on the show it's why my iPad Mini still has a mute switch and I love it so you have the Mini too yeah I guess so yeah. Uh, I guess it's the first Retina Mini. I think that's what I've got. Whatever yeah, the first, that's the Retina. Mini, the Mini Two. It's like unlike with the iPhone, or maybe I have, the three. I have, I, ev- I have everything. I can tell you like what was new in every single iPhone. Like with the iPads, I don't. I have no idea. It, they're all just. <laughs> I, I know what they looked like, but it's like telling the one Mini from another. All I know is that they used to not have Retina screens, and now they have Retina screens. And everything else is sort of irrelevant to me. Uh, anyway. 
Uh, I guess the only other thing I want to talk about with Samsung is that Samsung's obviously done a lot of press release. They're, they're not hiding the fact that, that their last phone was a huge embarrassment and had a, a incredibly expensive uh, recall. Um, they There was a, a great story, I thought, in The Verge by, I think it was Dan Seifert. Let me double check before I keep going. Where he actually flew over to... Um, Korea to to visit with Samsung and see like the the testing rigs they have up for the battery. Yes, it was Dan Seifert at the Verge. Got a link in the show notes. Um, you know they're obviously doing press specifically to assuage people's fears that uh, <laughs> that these might explode. Because it's one thing to have a product recall because it was a lemon, just in period. Like, like let's say the problem is too many of these phones that the screens just died and just turned, you know, total total blowout of the screen and it just screen won't turn on. They had to recall all of these phones. Well, that would be a huge, expensive, you know, PR disaster. But at least nobody is has is at risk of getting hurt. Right, your house isn't going to burn down if if that's the problem with the phone, the defect. Whereas if the problem, if the defect with the phone is that the battery might explode and catch fire, that's that's actually you know dangerous. Yeah, it's good. I mean, obviously you don't want that to happen, but it's good to show off. Although presumably some of those tests were run, or I don't know. I, uh, I guess I should admit I have not read the article yet. Yeah, so that's I don't all right. Know if he, I don't know if the, these are new tests or if these tests were also performed on the yeah I don't know about that either fire prone device. The one thing I, I, will, I will read it now when, yeah. when it's in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> I did hear. I heard from a friend at Apple who works with or knows a, a a battery engineer at Apple, so it's secondhand. But that when these when this scandal first started breaking, there was a team of battery engineers at Apple who are like, "Well, we got it. Let's just see what this is like," and not as like an official part of Apple's competitive, you know, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, backwards engineering, but just out of their own curiosity, a couple of battery engineers at Apple bought a, a note seven and opened it up and like looked at the battery and they were like appalled. They were like, this is, I cannot believe they put this battery in this case. <laughs> That it was, it seemed very, you know, just, you know, obviously these, the, the people making this judgment are battery engineers. So they, it's not like me and you looking at it, but that there were, at, you know, aspects of the size and dimensions of the battery and the, the size of the enclosure that it seemed like the, the, it just, just eyeballing it as an expert. This seems like it's at risk of the sort of, uh, positive and negative parts of the battery touching each other that you just can't ha can't happen with a lithium ion battery you know and there were you know reports that afterwards you know and there were other re news reports from sources in samsung that it was you know it's sort of a company culture type because this is the curiosity i've had is did samsung just get unlucky and this could have just as easily happened to apple or was there is there a real was there a real structural problem within Samsung that led to this? And I think the I think the answer is the latter. That there were, you know, management saying we want a battery of X megawatt hours so that we can get this amount of battery life, but we want the phone to be this thin. Just make it happen. And over the objections of their Samsung's own engineers, they went ahead with a design that they knew should have they should have known was risky. Because part of the promotion for the S8 is they're even saying, look, this has a smaller battery. 
But you can bring it on a plane. Yeah. That's probably the worst. That is probably the worst promotional part of the whole S7 disaster are those oh. those reminders when you, you're you at the they, – because they, they, it's not just like one time. They tell you before you board the plane. <laughs> they tell you when you're on the plane. It's it, – what a – I think they're over though. I haven't heard one. Yeah, I think they are too. I think that, you know, thankfully at least Once for – they recalled all – I think all the phones are – Right. Most of the phones have been recalled at this point. But so. I did – I took a couple of flights where that happened, and it was it was yeah. really pretty brutal. Constantly. Yeah. All right. Let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. It is our good friend, longtime sponsors of the show, Audible. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks. You knew that already. Everybody knows that's what Audible has. But here's what else they have. They have a huge selection of original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a 30-day free trial at audible.com slash talk show if you want to listen to it audible has it they've got audiobooks from virtually every genre anytime anywhere and you can play their audiobooks on just about any device that has audio out phones tablets computers most modern kindles uh even ipods you can sync the audio to an ipod uh through itunes it it if you have if you connect headphones to a thing and listen to it you can get audio audible content on it um, see for yourself when you begin a free 30 day free trial with audible, you get your first audiobook for free and there's no stress or obligation. You can cancel your membership at any time and they have what they call a great books guarantee. So if you start a new book and you don't like it, you're like, Oh my God, this is what I want. This stinks. Now I got to listen to six hours of this book. Forget it. You can just exchange it and get another one for free. Can't lose. So with all of the audiobooks and spoken word audio products you could possibly want, you can start with a 30-day free trial just by signing up at audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash talk show. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring the talk show. Uh, what else we got? We got a few more things and we got to wrap it up. How about what do you the, think of this, well, see this Twitter stuff? Which, which Twitter stuff? I don't, I don't know. There's a couple of things with Twitter. What are you talking about? It looks like today, especially in the iOS, although you're all third party app, yeah, right? Yeah. They've. Uh, I saw your tweet. Yeah. I think well, I think you're. you're t- I think I know what you're talking about. Go ahead, though. They've they've kind of changed the way that replies work and look. So when you yeah, that was their problem. go to reply to someone, you don't see their handles in the reply anymore. It's like a second level of metadata. Right. And th- what they've also done is open up the character limit so you can now type a full 140-character reply instead of the handles counting toward the character limit. Yeah. But, man, is it weird to get used to. And it looks like they actually changed it. Uh, I noticed at first in the Mac app, and they weren't showing the handles at all. They were showing people's na- full names and it just – super strange and kind of new but not great UI and just ugly. And it looks like today they turned it on in iOS too. So now a huge percentage of Twitter users are seeing this stuff. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is the kind of thing where they think, oh, wow, Twitter is going to be so much less confusing now to new users or, or what, or if they really just wanted to strip the metadata of reply handles out of the tweet and put it in a different place but it's kind of gross yeah it's i i feel like they've they've talked themselves into knots over what the 
problems are with Twitter and that they've convinced themselves that things that are not the problem with Twitter are the problem with Twitter and those are the problems they're tackling. And if anything, I think they're just making it worse. I, 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 it doesn't make any sense to me. And it doesn't even seem efficient. Like the screenshot you posted in your tweet was like in reply to uh, Joe Smith and one other. And so instead of showing at Joe Smith, it actually says his name, capital Joe, capital S Smith, and one other. And then you tap that and it shows you the other in like a pop-up. But it's like it would have taken just as much space just to show both usernames, right? Like... <laughs> Like I understand in the case where if maybe there's seven people in a reply chain, which is already a mess on Twitter, but I can see how oh, if there, of course everyone is doing today now these endless canoes. Right. So so I could see how if it said in reply to Dan Fromer and five others that five others is clearly more condensed than actually listing all six usernames and then tapping that to show a list of all six is is a reasonable UI. But when it just has one other, it's like you've you've <laughs> You've done a. You've made a terrible mistake. Uh, yeah. The other thing I noticed the other day is if you try to string tweets together, it was auto inserting the period handle thing at the beginning of the tweet, which was a a bad hack to begin with, hmm. and was then part of the actual <laughs> the actual creation of the tweet. So, yeah. Uh, I should. I'm looking at the Twitter app right now, and I, it makes me think that I should spend a couple of days using it because I think I'm so out of date that I'm I'm lost, and I feel like people always ask me like, why don't you just use Tweetbot? And I suppose I should. I I actually really like using default apps because, especially as someone whose job is to kind of analyze and write about this industry, it's helpful for me to see what most people are going through. Yeah. I try to change as few things about my Mac as possible and iPhone and that kind of stuff too. Um, and also the old Twitter for Mac, which was Tweety for Mac originally, um, a fine Lauren Brichter creation to me was the best Twitter interface. Yes. Uh, the, the way that it flows in real time and responses are included in there to me, especially if you follow as many accounts as I do, which is currently 5,104, there's just always information flowing through, and it to me is the best look at what Twitter really is. It's just this constant conversation of people, and sometimes they're talking to each other, and sometimes they're talking to themselves. But it just really was awesome, and the way it was animated is just better to me than any other Twitter UI. Um, but it, this Twitter for Mac app now is just such a disaster, so I don't know. And Twitter for iPhone – doesn't have it. It's just Twitter for Mac and Twitter for iPhone. I I see how they're taking the at out of the tweets, but it says replying to at Gruber. It doesn't say replying to John Gruber. So I believe that that changed in. Let's see if that changed in Twitter for Mac today. No, it still says rep, replying to Dave Pell. Yeah, uh, but that's on the Mac. So or on, the iPhone? on Mac. So maybe they'll sync it up. I mean, this is. I I believe the Mac app is now a third party creation. Um, made by an agency, so maybe they're on a, a week old. Uh, yeah. So but, maybe my whining helped. I don't know. Probably not. But, but even I, I understand. I totally understand, and that's why I'm saying I think I should spend some time using Twitter dot app, just because I think I should be familiar with it too, knowing you know just to write reasonably about Twitter. And it is diverging further and further from the third party clients because the third party clients are limited. 
I, I, a, I think that they're made by people with better design sense than Twitter's designers, but B, they're limited by the APIs and they can't, I don't know, they can't really do a lot of the things the Twitter client is doing. And so they're sort of stuck with the old Twitter metaphor. Um, but I think it's, I think it's for the better. I, I don't yeah. know. Did you see that the, the granddaddy of all third-party clients, Twitterific, uh, uh, they they hadn't updated their Mac version in a while simply because of the economics. You know that the, the their iPhone version is the most popular, and that's where their engineering time went. Um, but they did a Kickstarter to raise money to to modernize the Mac version of Twitterific, and it got uh, fully funded. So it's good news. No, I don't. I don't think I got in on that though. So now I'm mad. <laughs> yeah. I should have. Well, now I think now, whenever, now I wish I had it. But yeah, but whenever they finished, I think you know you could still buy it. And this whole you know, thing is because of the idiotic cap on user numbers that third-party clients are allowed right. to have. Like, which right? But there's to work. me is just so out of date. Like Twitter, Twitter, I think now needs to really open itself up to third-party apps again because the first-party ones are not super great. Yeah, I, I, there, I understand where what they were looking around at. You know, as Facebook certainly. Uh, took off, you know, circa 2013, 2014. I don't, I don't know when Twitter did the API thing, but you could see where Facebook was going. And Facebook wasn't a thing where there were third-party clients for Facebook. Everything for Facebook goes through Facebook. Uh, and and I'm, I, th- I honestly think that's just what motivated. Her. Like, well, Facebook is forcing everybody to use Facebook, so we should. Twitter should be a thing where you have to use Twitter. Um, but I feel like that's where they started going off the rails because they were losing. Twitter, the company was losing sense of what it was that made Twitter great, which was just the the network and the simplicity of the format. That it's just, yeah. hey, whose tweets do I want to see? Here are the tweets from those people. Here they are. And here's the tweets that are mentioning you. Uh, I feel like everything they've done to get away from that has been a mistake. You know, I used to be able to use Facebook through a third-party Adobe Air tweet deck. Really? I think that's gone. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's long gone now. I don't know. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, some of the stuff they've done, like the live video, it's interesting to see them chase after that. And actually uh, found a Twitter moment to be very useful once when I missed a big news story and wanted to catch up on it quickly. And I just looked... In Twitter moments, and sure enough, there it was, and it explained the whole thing to me. But actually, one thing I, I see people uh, saying sometimes in Twitter, which is the, the most useful feature they could create, is a an explanation for why everyone's pissed at this one person right now. <laughs> that, that to me, like, why is everyone shit talking this one guy? That'd be a useful feature in the Twitter app. How oh, he you, did this thing. Okay, how, how do you get to Twitter moments in the in the iPhone app? I don't even know. Well, they they rehit it. Now you have to go into this explore page, right. and then most that top one I think is a moment. Oh, all right. But all I don't right. know. Oh, I see. You scroll down, and it has today's moments. I got yeah. it. Yeah, explore. They've definitely made it harder to find them, which does not play well to their long term future. Maybe I don't know. I think eventually they're supposed to be in the in the feed, but yeah, well, I don't know. Good luck to Twitter. Yeah, uh, I've got one more sponsor to thank, and and then we can we can do whatever our last segment of the show is going to be. But I got to thank our good friends at Squarespace. Make your next move 
when you do, you need a new website. Make it at Squarespace. Everything you need to do to create a new website, you can do at Squarespace. You can get your domain name. You can get the domain name now. If you think of a good domain name, go to Squarespace, register it, and you can just have like a placeholder, but don't lose that domain name. You could do that. Uh, you could set up a store. You can set up a blog. You can set up a podcast. Uh, you can set up like if you're an artist or a freelance designer or something like that, you can set up a portfolio site. Anything like that, you could do it at Squarespace. How do you how do you create a Squarespace site? Do you edit a bunch of PHP files and uh, use a SFTP program to upload them to a server? And no, you don't do that. You just log right into Squarespace and you do it right in the browser. You make a website on the website, and you want to move something from the left to the right. You don't like enter a bunch of code. You just drag it from the left to the right. If you want to add a different component, you just drag it out, put it on the page where you want it. There it is. They have so many professionally designed templates to choose from that it's you probably don't even know you probably use squarespace sites all the time you don't even know you're using squarespace sites it's not like oh there's a look like oh this is exactly what a squarespace site looks like it's not like that at all because they have so many templates really a terrific product uh and, and the quickest way to get from the notion that you need a website for something or you want to replace the existing website for something with a new one to actually having it and one of the best things about it is they have award-winning technical support. You just get them on the horn and you're talking to them. And if you have a problem, like you don't know, you can't figure out how to do something. Uh, it's they'll, They've got 24-hour-a-day tech support and they tell you how to do it. Couldn't be easier. So next time you need a website, give Squarespace a shot first. Just go there and spend an hour trying to build your thing at, website, at, at Squarespace. You'll probably be done by the end of the hour and you won't even get to plan B for how you're going to do it. Um, go to squarespace.com to check it out and then when you do buy you can start for free by the way but when you do pay to set up your account just enter the code Gruber my last name at checkout and you will get 10% off so go to squarespace.com and get a free trial and when you switch from the free trial to a paid account just remember Gruber you'll get 10% off you save save money I get credit Uh, anything else on the agenda gotta figure out something what about this? You tell me. What's that? You tell me. Well, there's the. Do you see the video I put in the show notes with the, these two guys up in Canada did a head-to-head comparison of of Android Auto versus Car CarPlay? I did. That was good. It was devastating. I, and I'm a guy who, in general, is on the. Hey, everybody says Siri is total garbage. I I disagree. There's you know I find Siri useful in X Y Z and it works really well for me. And every time I ask for a sports score, I, I get a up to the minute score and great at the weather and, and this, that, and the other thing. But this, I don't, my, I don't have anything like autoplay or car play in my car. My car is from 2006. So it's, I don't even have like a, uh, like a way to pump music through my stereo. Um, I should probably get a new car, but, uh, so I don't have firsthand experience with this, but this head to head video, I, I will put it in the show notes. Absolutely devastating. This isn't like, oh, for A, B, and C, Android Auto is better, but for D, E, and F, CarPlay is better. And this this was just a wipeout. This was like Android Auto is like pretty useful and seems to do exactly what you want it to do if with a little bit of lag, you know, that I think like 10 years from now, we're going to look back and say, I cannot believe how much lag there was on the voice input for these things. Um, versus CarPlay, which was like totally busted. 
I mean, like failed at everything, failed to send the guy text messages, couldn't understand his friend's name. There was no way to like convince Siri of what his friend's name was. They asked for directions to something nearby up in Canada and it was routing them to like Toledo, Ohio. (laughs) It was really bad. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a car, so I don't know. I don't have either of these things, but it just seems to show that a lot of these services lack context in even the most basic of queries. And, you know, they're supposed to be getting better at that. Like Siri sometimes can respond to your previous query knowing that yeah. that's the context. But all the time I try using Amazon Alexa, I try using Siri to ask about the previous query and almost never is it working to my kind of desired level of context. And I guess that'll get better over time. And this is pretty simple. I mean, this should just know that they're in Canada. So maybe the closest, the the, the whatever you want to call it, the uh, relevance of, of search results is probably more based on location than on what's the number one ranking for this global search term. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It seems like Apple really has its work cut out for it in this regard. Honestly, from this demo video, I mean, I don't know if this is not representative. It, it, and it seemed like what it was was two guys, uh, uh, go check it. You know, I'll put it again. I'll put the video in the show notes. You can check it out. But it, like the, you know, it seemed like a very fair thing. It wasn't like they were out to get CarPlay. It seemed like the one guy is an iPhone fan. The other guy's an Android fan. And, and so the, the, you know, the one guy was, you know, you know, and it was sort of like a little friendly wager type thing. Um, but so the guy who was trying to get CarPlay to do things was trying his best. Like he really wanted it to, to, to work. And I really don't think there was a single thing they did that was unfair at all. Anyway, pretty bad. Uh, last thing I had was this whole thing with the, uh, the ISPs and privacy and this ridiculous law that, that the U S Congress passed yesterday. You saw this, right? Yeah. Where there was a, an a, under the Obama administration, the, the the FCC passed a thing that would prevent ISPs and and like cell phone providers from using your 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 web traffic history to sell to advertisers or or other people who'd who'd be interested in knowing everything you've done on the internet. Uh, and the, the U.S. Congress and the the Senate passed legislation abolishing this which is ridiculous and it was completely along again i don't want to get too much into the politics of it i mean uh, a partisanship of it but every single person in the senate and the house who voted for it was a republican and not a single democrat voted for it and i think there were only 15 republicans who voted against it it, but it's the most ridiculous like this issue should not be partisan like somebody who is a Died, diehard Republican, uh, but doesn't like own stock in Comcast, but just just is a Republican and believes in you know like low taxes and and all the other you know, you know strong defense spending and et cetera et cetera down the line politically. Uh, there's no way that they're in favor of their cell phone provider selling their browsing history to advertisers. Like this is not a conservative issue. It's absolutely unconscionable that, that that this passed. And you know, surprise, surprise. Guess who's a big spender on lobbying in Washington D.C. the the telecom industry. Yeah. What's interesting is that the 
whatever was passed, and I'm not an expert in this, so um, whatever, but what was passed under Obama, I guess, never actually took effect. So nothing's actually getting worse. It's just not getting better. Um, And I don't know if the telcos were actually taking advantage of their capabilities in this regard before or if it was just, you know, something that they wanted to do. So it's not like some liberty was – Technically taken away, although I guess it was supposed to kick in at some point and then and now won't. Uh, but it's crazy to me that any of these companies could say this is in the best interest of private, like what were they saying, like of choice or something like that. Like, yeah. yeah, just fucking say you want to make some money. Like, don't <laughs> right. just be honest about it. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is a new business line for us, and you know, deal. We we run the pipe. We can do whatever we want with it. Um, but I guess they can't say that. Right. Well, Sam Biddle at the intercept, I I will put a link to this in the show notes as well. Did the, the yeoman's work as a reporter and what, what the, what is it? The group is called the, uh, the NCTA. I don't know what that stands for though. Um, I don't know. It probably used to stand for something and now it does not. Yeah. Well, it's the trade group association. It's a lobbying group that represents companies like Verizon and Comcast. Uh, and they were big in, you know, this is the the statement after last week's vote read. We appreciate today's Senate action to repeal unwarranted FCC rules that deny consumers consistent deny consumers consistent privacy protection online and violate competitive neutrality. Uh, our industry remains committed to offering services that protect the privacy and security of the personal information of our customers. And it's so their statement is just purely. It really is. I, I it. Often overused, but it it really apt here. Orwellian in terms of, in terms of using words that mean the complete opposite of what the legislation actually did. And I guess some of the argument they used was that well, Facebook and Google can do this, so why shouldn't we be able to? But and I again, I don't know who actually made that. This is just the, right. my third day memory of reading articles about this. But the truth is that they don't. Like Facebook and Google see what you're doing on Facebook and Google and maybe what you click out on, but they don't get your full internet history, which right. to me is like a, you know, you if you don't want to click something on Facebook, you can avoid that. You can't avoid using the internet while you're on the internet. So it seems kind of uh, like the kind of argument that would maybe work if you're a moron, but if you actually know anything about how the internet works, does not really work. Right. And Facebook and Google, there's no denying that they are, they're, they're very hard to avoid. Uh, you know, I, I just had a I still I don't have a Facebook account. I never have, and I had a conversation with somebody uh, last week while I was at uh, waiting to to meet with people at Apple, and somebody who just couldn't believe it. Just absolutely, you know, was really thought I was maybe pulling their leg, and I'm like, no, I really I don't use it. I don't, I, you know, kind really, of amazing you can still use Instagram without having a Facebook account. I, you know what? Now. If anything would ever get me to sign up for it, it would probably be that. You know, I still have I still don't see Instagram ads. I've still me, me I've, neither, but we got to stop telling people that. Do you th- <laughs> Otherwise, we're gonna get. I I know, but I kind of want to see them because I'm curious, but I'm worried that it's, I'm gonna see one and be like, yeah, I could finally see what an Instagram ad is like, and then all of a sudden I'll be inundated with them, and, and I'm gonna be like, oh man, remember when I I was two years into? You know, I got a really good one once i i used to see them and i got a great one maybe this is when they stopped showing them to me i got a great one for suntory whiskey huh. and i thought oh, see, I finally, like that. These, these guys know me well suntory whiskey but 
I don't see any ads anymore, except now I see them occasionally between stories because that is a different format. So. I, I, I still don't. I don't see them there. I don't think. I, they, I only rarely do. Yeah. So that either they don't have enough ads or yeah. they don't like my whatever. Something about me yeah. does not uh, target well. Yeah. Uh, I. But again, it's it's a utility. You know what I mean? Like they, they really. Sh- that's why you know. And again, I I understand the general. And in some degree, I agree with it. Like I, the general Republican mindset is that fewer gov- gov- government regulations are better. It's better to let the market, you know, work itself out, and that overregulation is a problem. Uh, totally get that. I actually agree with it. I think that you know that that you know it's it's when a fun- when a functioning two party system with one side being conservative, one side being liberal, that one of the, even though I'm generally liberal, I think the conservatives serve a very uh, effective role at limiting the government from overregulating things. I, I really do. I mean, and I just renewed my driver's license uh, this month, and it's, it's. I I would say it is a you know it government bureaucracy can be a real problem for doing something that you have to do every couple of years. Um. Uh. I, this is a case where though, like regulating things like, uh, water quality and, you know, like elect the electricity and, and service and stuff like that. There's a reason why we want the government to regulate that. You know, you don't want to have people getting their heat shut off in the middle of winter just because they missed a bill or something like that. Uh, and, uh, telecom stuff is regulated for a reason <laughs> and being able to, to sell your history would seem to me a, a clear violation of that as as a utility service. And I do you think I, our do you think our electrical history is for sale? I don't know. I don't think so. I I I, I don't think anybody would agree. I, I and who knows? I mean, for all I know, maybe this is on the books and they're doing it. But it's I don't think that the phone companies can sell a list of to, to like advertisers of who I've made phone calls to. Yeah. Right. Right. Like you know, and then yeah, you know, that's so, probably the most second most. Threatening, right? I mean, thing, I, but like, uh, and I could see competitively why you would want it. You know, like a, a pizza place might want to see that I'm always calling. I every time I order a pizza, I get it from the same place, and they want to send me a, you know, call me up and offer me a special offer or something like that. Uh, but that would be terrible. It'd be outrageous. I find it. I well, find people it seem to think that that VPNs are the solution, although I don't think that's really going to take off. I mean, if, yeah. I don't, I don't think know so if you've either. used a VPN ever, but they're kind of a pain in the ass. So, well, they're uh, they're kind of a pain in the ass, and it's I, I I don't think I don't think they should be presented as a panacea, especially if you're not the one running the VPN. You know, like so, like people who work at big companies, like when they do work, like if you work at Apple and you want to work from home, you've got to log on to the VPN because you can't even access the stuff you need if you're not because they want it to be secure. But you can kind of trust it because it's your VPN from Apple, and you know. It, like as an independent person using a VPN, you, you're completely at the mercy of the VPN service you're you're signing up for, and they could, you know, for all you know, they're they're tracking your history or something. I don't think it's a panacea, and it adds some steps. I do think, I do wonder if somebody like if Apple could step in and do something where if you're using Apple products and you have an Apple base station. Uh, 
you know, this is in the fantasy world where Apple is still updating their Wi-Fi routers on a regular basis, that they could do something that uh, sort of gives you an invisible VPN that would that would keep your ISP from being able to do this sort of intrusive privacy invasive stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it to say, but I, I think I, it seems to me like Apple could take an interest in this. That's another thing we haven't uh, has not been resolved yet. The future of the airport base stations. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, or or one of the kind of enterprising new players like Eero. That would be a cool thing Eero could do, or yeah. Google, or, or any of the new yeah. newish router providers. Oh, we automatically. Although what I don't know is like if you're doing everything over a secure pipe, you're still sending packets yeah. over your hardware network. So yeah. I don't know. Like yeah, how- I've seen other people say, and I I know that this doesn't work. That if you just change your DNS from your ISPs own DNS to like open DNS or Google's DNS servers or something like that. Um, that might help your service in some ways. You know, I've done that in years past, uh, but that doesn't solve this problem. Like Comcast still, the, the, the ones and zeros are still going over. Comcast the U-porn lines. packets are still coming over Comcast. <laughs> so it's just, yep. I don't know. It's just sort of a depressing – amidst all the other political stuff going on, it's just a very depressing display of there's just nobody. You know, like even something like on the environment, which is obviously a political hot-button issue. So if 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 the Trump administration wants to roll back regulations on uh, like pollution – coal pollution into water uh, – me personally, I'm opposed to that um, – I, I at least get the argument, though, that there are people who are saying, "But finance, you know, this can change the financial dynamics of this whole town." Or, it, it, you know, I, I, I don't. I, I disagree with these people. I'll even argue with them. But I, I at least acknowledge that there are people who are arguing that side. That there are Americans who are saying, "No, I think they should be allowed to do this." Whereas with this privacy thing, there's nobody. It's absolute crickets chirping on Twitter. Everybody's outraged about it. I see tons and tons of tweets about it, and I don't see anyone anyone arguing for the other side. Like, there's nobody saying, "Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea to roll back this uh, this this protection." It's a this that it makes it the most bizarre thing to have passed because it so clearly is popular with nobody except the actual. Uh, stakeholders in the ISPs. Yet I don't hear. I mean, you know, I see an uproar among my colleagues at the Verge, like Neilai and, right. and those guys are strongly against it. But I don't. I don't know. I just don't see a ton of people talking about it. I don't yeah. know. Well, I, I, I guess the you know, for the most part, it's not going to hit the masses until if if and when it actually starts being abused, right? And you start getting. Uh, creepily super targeted stuff from Comcast that saw what you were looking at on WebMD. Right. And you know, part of like a pill for that. Part of it though, is that we are sort of being, we're like frogs being slowly boiled to death with the creepy stuff we do see where, you know, uh, it's still getting worse. Although I think ever since I've installed content blockers on Safari, it's, it's actually for me personally, it's gotten better, but I know my wife is just telling me the other day where she clicked on one thing for one product and now all of the ads she sees everywhere are for that product. And it was totally innocuous. I forget what it was. It, I, I can't even remember. It was it was not like in a, you know, any way sensitive or embarrassing product, but it was it was just unbelievable though the number of sites that were showing her ads for this thing that she had clicked on one time on one site. Well, it speaks installed. to the 
the effectiveness or lack thereof of web advertising that that is immediately the most effective ad that you could yeah. possibly see is yeah. for the website you were just on. But yeah. All right. Anything else you wanted to talk about this week? We, I've, it's, it seems like it's time to wrap it up. Just getting pumped for the uh, second uh, Chicago Cubs World Series in a row, but that's uh-huh. about it. <laughs> have you been on since the Cubs won the series? I don't think you have. I don't think so. No. <laughs> Congratulations. Here we are. Opening day. Opening day is I'll this weekend. My, uh, and I'm currently first place in the Vox Media tournament bracket, but we'll see what happens. Mm. But yeah, opening day coming up. Very excited. I've got a. I was I was in Vegas uh, before the tournament, and I placed a hundred dollar prop bet on UNC to win the whole tournament. So I've still got that Ooh. going. I think it pays uh, six to one or eight to one. So I've got. I'll, I'll have a. I'll have an eight hundred dollar ticket if if it if they win. Cool. We'll have to go collect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be <laughs> be a good use of that eight hundred dollars. <laughs> you can actually. Now, I, was mail there, them. I was there last week. Uh, for a day and that was kind of fun just for work but i was like oh i should do 24 hours in vegas more often yeah it's a good town to dip your toes in it is i've done that i had a flight one time we were flying to van amy and i were flying to vancouver and there's no direct flights and so and it just it's a long way from philadelphia so we just flew to vegas spent one night in vegas and then woke up at noon and flew to vancouver the next day and it was total fun it's awesome Total fun. Nice. Whereas most cities, you feel like you can't possibly, you know, really get any anything out of the city if you're only there for, you know, 23 hours total. Whereas Vegas, you can easily, <laughs> you can easily yeah. say, I've had enough. I had a good time and I'm done. I'm ready to go. Um, Cubs, I can't believe that. I still can't believe that they won that. I mean, it, I I can't either, and it also was completely ruined by the election a week later. So I know that I, I had that. I thought. feel really screwed by that. It it was it, it, <laughs> that was <laughs> like it never hit me. The joy never really hit me, and then I got the wind knocked out of me, you know. And now some days I'm like, oh yeah, the Cubs won the World Series. But it's sort of like playing the playing the lottery, you know, every day for 108 years. And never winning, and then you finally win big, and you get the money. You get mugged for the money as you're walking out of the place where they you give you the cash. Bus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think oh, the, Cubs, the Cubs look good again. That's the the problem. The scary part about the Cubs is that it was clear even just two years ago that they that that was a, that was a team with with uh, team with legs with the talent on that team. Yeah, and you know Schwarber's back this year. Well, but that is, we, that's the to me was the most amazing thing, and I've said this before, and I know everybody. You know, anybody who wants to tune out for the sports ball, you can tune out. But there's two types of sports fans fundamentally: numbers, numbers people, and story people. And like the you know like the numbers people are like the sabermetrics people, and they like to you know they're, they're you know using spreadsheets to pick their fantasy stuff and whatever. I, I love math. I was really good at math when I was in school. I kind of like the stats of sports, but to me, the reason I like to still like to watch them though are the stories. I like it's it's, it, and I don't care if the sabermetrics better explains who wins. I like the stories as an explanation for who wins. And it, of course, twenty twenty hindsight. But to me, the moment I thought that the Cubs were going to win was when Schwarber came back. It's who comes back from like a terrible injury and months of not even swinging a bat and your first 
re-entry into the sport is at the highest possible level, the World Series. And then the guy knocks the shit out of the ball for the whole series. It's crazy. It it defies everything I know about professional baseball, which is that for hitting, even if you're super talented and you're athletically in the prime of your career, your timing is everything. And it's the whole reason they have this month-long spring training is that getting your timing down is intricate and it's so easily lost. And it's the worst thing about getting hurt, even for like six weeks, is that you come back and you're sure your knee's better now, but your timing is off. And when people are throwing the ball at you at 97 miles an hour, your timing being off just a little bit is you're, you're done. And Schwarber comes back and it's unbelievable. It's amazing. I, I, I kind of want to go watch that game now. It made me. That's what made me think that they were going to win because the story just fit. It's like it's it's you know it's the Cinderella Cinderella story. You know the kid comes back. You know because what a heartbreak it would have been if he hadn't played in the World Series, right? You get a knee injury, and and uh, you're on the Cubs, and the Cubs win their first World Series in 477 years, and <laughs> and you didn't get to play, but instead he came back in the most dramatic fashion possible. So anyway, congratulations. I can't. Can't say any. I don't have any bones to pick with the Cubs. Congrats. Right, we'll do it again. <laughs> that would be the worst if the Cubs turn into a dynasty. <laughs> oh, jerks like the Yankees? Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, they're, they're, they're supposed to be a lovable loser franchise. I think I think we'll go another hundred years now. I really think that uh, that's possible. I don't know. Look so. at the Sox. The Sox, you know, broke a long streak and then they they. I guess the Sox have won more and World Series. Who can stand them? Who can stand Nobody. them? Nobody. They're the worst. Nobody. Yeah. They're the worst. All right. Thank you, Dan Fromer. Everybody can check you out on Twitter, at Dome. It's a great Twitter account. And uh, they could see your work and the work of your fine staff at, uh, at Recode. Recode.net. Recode.net. You remember you, you used to have beef with Recode. That was hilarious. That was way before I got there. I've what been was my beef with Recode? Remember there were some issues where they wouldn't call. They, they oh, like didn't, uh, yeah. I mean, first the 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 slash in the name, which I got rid of, but the uh, there was something where I think one of my former colleagues was not citing you properly, and so uh, what was there was it a that? phase where you would just call it recode. I think some website or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was. I- <laughs> It's like three years ago. We're we're bringing back three year old Twitter beef, but or, right. uh, blog beef. But right. anyways, <laughs> Recode.net. It was instead Check of referring out. to Daring Fireball, it was like a a, a, a Mac website, you Mac know, fan blog, a, something, something like that. And so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I spent I spent a couple of months. I haven't had a beef in a while. That was fun, and I just called them. No, was- I just called them some website. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.